For more than a decade, Saturdays and Illegal Curve have been synonymous with one another. With insight, analysis, and interviews regarding the Winnipeg Jets, the Manitoba Moose, and all around the NHL, here are Dave Manouk, Ezra Ginsberg, and your host, Drew Mandel. The Illegal Curve Hockey Show starts now. Good morning, Winnipeg. Good morning, Scottsdale. And for everybody <laughs> joining us live on our YouTube channels and all of our social media platforms, we say good morning, universe, and welcome to the Illegal Curve Hockey Show. From here, from there, from everywhere, I'm your host, Drew Mandel, with Ezra Ginsberg, Dave Manouk, here for the next couple of hours, get you set for tonight's clash between the two top teams in Canada based on points in the standings. Of course, the Jets and the Canucks will do battle a late night game on the left coast. That should be a doozy. As you can see, I am on vacation, but nothing will keep me away from my quality time on a Saturday morning with all of you good folks and my friends, Dave and Ezra. Gentlemen, good to see you both on this Saturday morning here in Arizona. How are things in Manitoba? Well, not as good as they are in Arizona with that backdrop. Like that's that's like Kenny Weeb type of backdrop. Like when Kenny does the show Winnipeg Sports Talk, I'm talking about when he does it in Mexico. That's the type of backdrop that that he has. So obviously, we're not doing well as the retired Drew Mandel. Uh, retirement life is treating you well, Drew. But uh, not sure if you caught the Coyotes game, but um, that was the only game. It was kind of odd that that was the only game happening on the NHL schedule last night, boys. I can assure you I did not catch the Coyotes game last night. It did not even cross my mind to check the schedule to see if the Coyotes were playing at home. And I was not venturing my way into the mosh pit of 4,000 people or whatever seats uh, at that arena to, to witness. Well, how long, that, though, that, is that? For, like, what's it, what's it, an hour between Phoenix and Tempe? No, it's less than that. It's 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 not far. It's an hour to Glendale. Right. Uh, so Tempe is only about 20 minutes or so. It's so an it's, hour, uh, but when you add traffic, it's more like, because I did that drive, uh, it, it's more like two hours, right? What is this? Yeah. Uh, Coyote's lunch, boys? Let's go. <laughs> okay. Dave, how are you, good friend? How are, how are things in your world? I'm well. It's very peculiar, and I guess we should enjoy this because in March, we will be seeing each other in the folks like every day, basically, but uh, very unusual how infrequent these shows have become obviously this show's only once a week but the post-game shows feel like and we didn't won this last week so it's very yeah. unusual of course as i tweeted from the ic account we will be having a, a saturday ic day of course you start with us hopefully you started on legalcurve.com for the jets and moose news then you start with us then you've got a moose game at two o'clock i've already given away the seats for today's game which is Chaz lucius bobblehead night continuing a tradition by the way I've never players never actually playing in their bobblehead <laughs> games. Now, unfortunately for Chaz, usually that's because they've been recalled to the Jets. But uh, he, of course, is is dealing with his season-ending injury. Um, and then you've got uh, the Jets and and uh, Canucks. Sorry, at nine o'clock in twelve. And the game's not even starting for twelve hours, boys. And then, oh God, I showed as he had to change the thing, so now he's he's making some moves. And then, of course, eleven around eleven forty on the, the bottom. I. It just doesn't feel, feel right when you're on the bottom, Dave. Sorry. You're right. You're right. Oh, there's Chris. Chris Thiessen is one of the people who will be sitting there in uh, the seats for today's game. Um, and uh, then, of course, around 1140, you'll be joining Ezzy and I for the post-game show. Hey, don't count me out. Don't count me out. I'm not wow. saying it's for sure, but there's a possibility. We'll see where All the right. night takes us. Well, Fine. there's a possibility. There is no way that you're going to be awake. Drew, you're retired now. You're going to be in bed at like 630. 
honestly, I feel like some of these some days I should be in bed at six thirty, especially on vacation and everything. Let me else tell like you, that. sorry, as an aside, I cannot wait till I'm like eighty. If I make it that far, I can't yeah. wait till I'm eighty to eighty-five years old and I have dinner at like three o'clock. Sorry, happy oh, birthday ahead, to Chris! Happy birthday to Chris's son, who's celebrating his birthday today at the Moose game. Hey, that's great! Happy birthday, Chris's son, and nice. happy birthday to Ezzy, Hopefully, making it to eighty years old. Yes, but I understand where Ezzy was going there. The, the delights of going to bed early and waking up early and uh, getting a good solid fourteen hours of sleep per night. Uh, that's the nicest thing I think you've ever said to me. I hope you make it to eighty years old. <laughs> I'm in a good mood. What can I say? Ask me tonight if I say that. It's all I'll that you, sun you're getting, Drew. You I don't know. Drew's be happy when you're down in Phoenix. It's beautiful. Ezzy, I don't know. Drew looks like he's like blending in with the background. He's he's, he's kind of camoed. I can't really see him there so well. So we'll see. I know it's it's all part of the it's all part of the motif I'm going for. You should see what my time does the pool party beach wear. Oh, the the party! Here comes my dad. My daughter's waving at me, and here comes my dad as well in the, uh, in the foreground. So bring we'll Sheldon on. Let's hear what Sheldon has to say. You guys can come over and say hi. Can Sheldon break down that five-one Hurricanes win over the Coyotes? Yeah, no, not nobody here can break oh. down anything. Here's Aaron. And hi, the, Aaron. And there's my dad, yeah. Sheldon <laughs> slash dad. Yes, well, there you go. Okay, so Sheldon, who's retired? You or Drew? But or both? Who's retired? Me or me or you? Thank you, Aaron. We're both working in our own right. That's right. We're working uh, in special ways. Okay. Goodbye. Goodbye. Go get your lemonade or whatever you're getting. Dave, I think we should bring Aaron back. Aaron's much more interesting no. than Drew. <laughs> Go. Later. You'll have lemonade later, sweetie. Goodbye. Whoa, she's Drew, upset. She's have... of lemonade. Uh, she she's upset she can't have her morning lemonade just yet. But uh, really, morning have... lemonade. It's eight in the morning. Usually my kids wait uh, you know, till the afternoon to have their lemonade. The problem here is that there's a uh, like a clubhouse sort of uh, facility. Ooh, clubhouse, got, fancy, fancy. Uh, yeah, it's very fancy. It's got lemonade and iced tea, uh, basically twenty four seven. So you tell, you try keeping kids away from the idea yeah. uh, of sugar that often. Dylan Young says he went to school with Sheldon. Okay, I'll have to ask my dad about and that. Spence says Spence Sheldon is his golfing buddy. It's true. It's a true story all around. Okay, let's get into some hockey talk. Uh, there we the go. goals. Uh, the goals are not coming for the Winnipeg Jets still, nope. but the wins are at least this week. Uh, mm-hmm. Going back to last Saturday, the victory over the Pittsburgh Penguins, and then Wednesday's uh, uh, you know thrilling one nothing victory over the San Jose Sharks. <laughs> I guess it could, could be worse. You could be the Flames, who then lose to the Sharks six three on night, the second the half of back of a back to back. Exactly right. Uh, so you know, in, in that sense, it's it's better than the alternative, uh, but. You know, how concerned are you guys that the, the goals are still not coming for this Jets team because it's not realistic to be able to win games 2-1 and 1-0 uh, consistently? Yeah, I mean, I, I guess I'll go first here. I mean, I, I'm concerned because this is something that's been going on for over a month now, right? Like, what is it, yeah. 15 goals in the last 11 games? Going back to that 2-1 win, uh, if you remember – Weren't the Jets down one nothing in that game, if I remember correctly? It wasn't a very convincing win over the Blackhawks. I remember that. Um, but yeah, like this is a this isn't something that has just been going on for you know three games post All Star break or something like that. Even though they were shut out by the Pittsburgh Penguins coming out of the break, right? So I think you have to be concerned mainly because it's not just one or two players that are struggling to score goals, right? Like it's up and down the lineup. Like we've we've talked about it. Since Kyle Connor has returned to the lineup, I think it's been eight games now, Dave, nine games, and he's only got two goals. And one of those is into an empty net, right? So, I mean, you're talking about the big guns, Cole Perfetti. I mean, 
it's been a while since he scored a goal, right? Like uh, Alex Ayafalo has been a really long time. Gabe Velarde's not putting the puck in the net right now, right? Like obviously Nino Niederreiter recently scored uh, and he broke his 15-game goalless drought, but it's up and down the lineup and it's the big guns, right? Like, you know, Nikolai Ehlers has scored recently, but, you know, he's not exactly, you know, scoring two goals every game, right? So that's what I, I think I'm the most concerned about. And, you know, I, I think when you see the line rushes from Vancouver, Dave, you're thinking to yourself, like, what is it going to take for Rick Bonus to put Nick Ehlers, Mark Shifley, and Gabe Velarde on the top line together? Because when that line was together, they were dominant. They were scoring like a couple goals every game, it seemed like, or more mm-hmm. than that, right? So I think what it is, is you're not just concerned about one player, two players, three players, or one line. You're concerned about every line right now. And that's not something that the Jets have experienced Um you know, through the first 30 games of the season, it's been the last, you know, 20 or so games that the offense has really dried up. So I'm not saying that I think, you know, that the Jets are going to average one goal a game for the rest of the season. I think that would be ridiculous, guys. But, you know, you've got a very interesting stretch coming up here where you've got three games in four days starting off against Vancouver. And as Drew mentioned, I don't think a lot of people at the beginning of the season would have, you know, thought that the Jets and the Canucks would be you know near the top of the Western Conference standings. It's only Dallas uh, that's in between um, the Jets and the Canucks at this point, right? So this is a, a possible Western Conference final preview. Obviously, I'm getting way ahead of myself here, but these are two really good teams. So I think you have to be concerned. And and you know, uh, you know, the, there's only three weeks left. I think exactly before the trade deadline. And you wonder if this continues another three, four, five games. You wonder, you know, if Chevy's going to have to pull the trigger on another move. It's only been four games with Sean Monaghan, guys, so we're not going to get too excited here. Mm -hmm. Um, And you can't put this all on Sean Monaghan, who obviously, I don't even think he has a point yet. But, I mean, you need to start scoring some more goals. They've averaged one goal a game for the last 11 games, or or 1.4 goals a game. That's just not going to cut it. Look, the, 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 the recipe for the Jets' success so far this year has undoubtedly been defense first. And I don't think anyone's advocating away from defense first because mm-hmm. we've seen too many Jets teams where defense is optional. We know it's not long-term success, Dave. But yeah. at, at, at a point in time, I think the coaching staff needs to come to the realization that it's also equally not sustainable to win games only by a one nothing margin or only by a 2-1 margin. And yeah. you have to let the horses run a little bit more. And mm-hmm. right now... Uh, you know the the horses just just seem like they're 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 being they're, the reins are being pulled on them so tight that you, they're not generating anything offensively. Now I know it shouldn't have been one nothing on Wednesday against the Sharks. They dominated out shooting a team forty to eighteen. But what if Mark Shifley doesn't make that mini stick save? Well, right. all of a sudden you're tied one all. Uh, you know against the team that's at the bottom of the NHL standings. You need to find a way to generate a little bit more and moving Nikolai Ehlers from a prominent role to me is not that solution. Yeah. And we saw courtesy of Mike McIntyre yesterday in at practice that he switched back from Ehlers up on the top line to Ehlers on the uh, second line. And, and Rick Bonus's justification for that was simply that because they don't have last changed and, you know, the line gave up some opportunities. Now it's funny. There's two ways of looking at this. We know that Velarde, Ehlers, and Shifley worked. We know that they scored. We know that the team won a lot without with those three as a trio. Mm-hmm. 
And I said, I remember when they broke it up originally and we were like, why would you bring, break up something that's successful? And I said at the time, I said, well, you know, I can understand it because you don't want to become too reliant on one thing because when you lose, you know, Josh Morrissey or you lose Mark Shifley in the playoffs, ultimately you need to be able to play without those players. So you can't become reliant on one line playing together for 82 games because if something happens in game 83, i.e. the first game of the playoffs and something happens to that line, you can't become like, oh, well, we, we, we don't have any other line combos that work. So I get that. I understood where Rick Bonus was coming from. But I also understand the fact that you're not winning games convincingly. And look, we always hear it. It's the same answer. It's the same cliche. The games change after the All-Star break. The games become tighter. Well, don't tell the Dallas Stars that because they won the other day, what, 9-3? to three? Yeah. So, I mean, the fact is teams are still scoring. It's just the Jets that aren't. So you can come up with these excuses oh well you know we're getting lots of opportunities we like it look they uh, 24 to 7 were the high danger chances in the last game and of course we know the jets metric for that's the publicly available that's what the jets metric might be slightly different but regardless we know that it, there was a significant disparity for the between those two teams and so you credit the netminder of course for playing well but but ultimately again we've talked about this this, this is a jets team that needs to have some sort of success scoring because once the dam breaks, you know, it, again, it's like, it's like this tightness. Everybody is tight right now. And if, you know, we saw the relief on Nino Niederreiter's face captured by our, our, our amazing photographer, Colby Spence, when he broke, as, as he said, his 15 game goal, streak. Well, that's the whole point that these guys are tight. And I just think that you reunify Velarde, Shifley and Ehlers. I don't know why Shifley and, Kyle Connor now have become Shifley and Blake Wheeler. And it's this like sacrosanct pairing that need that can never be broken up. And look, at the end of the day, if you're Rick Bonus, especially when you don't have final change, okay. So, I mean, is, is Kyle Connor on the quote second line a huge demo? I mean, again, the guy missed, as as he said, five weeks of hockey, ultimately probably came back. I'm not saying he came back early because he obviously was ready to go, but he wasn't at 100%, right? He had to get used to the brace, had to do this. So I'm just saying that, you know, giving Kyle Connor a slight, slight downgrade at, to the second line, I just think ultimately is 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 not, especially when you need to start scoring. So right. go back to Ehlers, Velarde, and Shifley, and again, Monahan, Connor, and and uh, and Perfetti isn't a bad second line, as he right. You can score with those with that trio. Drew, I just want to get in here before before you jump in. Go ahead. Cole, Cole Perf- and Ehlers actually hasn't scored in seven games, so Ehlers hasn't scored in seven games. Cole Perfetti hasn't scored a goal in 11 games. Mark Shifley has one goal in six games. Kyle Connor has, I mentioned previously, two goals in nine games since returning. One is an empty netter. Right. So essentially he has one goal that really matters here, mm. even though the empty, you guys know what I mean. Gabe yes, Velarde yeah. has gone six games without a goal. So again, this is your top six. Like we're not talking about Alex Iafallo right now. We're yeah. talking about Gabe Velarde is struggling offensively. Nick Ehlers hasn't scored in seven games. Cole Perfetti hasn't scored in 11 games. And again, I'm not saying that these are bad players by any stretch of the imagination. These are all actually excellent players. Cole Perfetti is having a great second full season in the NHL. And and obviously, you know, the wrist injury might be factoring in, Dave, right? It was Rick Bonus that told us about a month ago, Mm -hmm. uh, maybe not exactly a month ago, but something like that, six weeks ago, whatever, that Perfetti was dealing with a wrist injury when he was providing his injury updates for all of his players. So again, the top six as a whole is struggling to score goals. And you have to go, in my opinion, back to what works. Nikolai Ehlers is your best 
offensive driving player. He drives offense. We know mm-hmm. that with his speed, his zone entries, his ability to make plays. He's got a good shot off the rush. I think you have to go back to Ehlers, Shifley, Velarde, and Rick Bonus for whatever reason doesn't want to go back to that. And it's and it's really mind boggling at this point, Drew. Well, you you hear that you know Mark Shifley you know doesn't want to play with Nikolai Ehlers because he's he's not a predictable player to play with, and that's been the knock on Ehlers, uh, you know, a lot is that he's not the easiest guy to play with because there's there's so much freestyle. But he's the Jets' most talented player. I know the numbers. The numbers back that up. He's the Jets' best offensive player. Right. So my comment in return to that would be, yes, and he might not be, you know, simple to play with, but at the same time, maybe you all need, everybody needs to adapt a little bit more and be a little mm-hmm. bit more flexible with it because well, and, and, is, Drew, and think about point. it from the, well, just quickly add in, think about the flip side. That means that the defenses are also a little bit confused by him and it's a little bit more confusing for the defenses, right. which makes your job potentially easier because they're trying to figure out how to defend against the guy who's unpredictable, and that gives you some openings. Right. Uh, look, I, I just think they're, they're, they're going back to immediately removing Nikolai Ehlers from the equation, which is what Rick Bonus's M.O. has been oftentimes in close games in the third period, to me is no solution at all. That's just uh, you know handcuffing your team and your team's chances exactly. for success. Mm-hmm. You need to find a way to incorporate his skill set yes. as dynamic and unpredictable as it might be into your into a regular rotation uh, especially in that third period where the defense to your point Dave might not be might be a little bit gassed might be a little bit more tired and thus might not be as uh, on point in defending mm-hmm. against a guy like Nikolai Ehlers who is so shifty and so talented and so dynamic more Nikolai Ehlers is always the solution rather than less Nikolai Ehlers, in my humble opinion. And yeah, and you have to have, sorry, Dave, just want to say you have to have a line that you can depend on right now. Like when you need a goal, that's the line you put out there. Right. And it's not Lowry, Appleton, and Niederreiter. All due respect to those guys, right. that's your shutdown line. Yeah. So, right, like if if if, if you're gonna go to the Shifley line. I mean, that line better be clicking, right? And and right now it's not clicking. And when you had Ehlers with Shifley and Velarde, it was clicking. So again, Rick Bonus has been, has more combined games of NHL experience than any other coach in history, right? Yeah. Uh, he knows way more than I do. So yeah, obviously he's not listening to us or he's not listening to anybody else in the media. But it, it, it just, and again, I think you go to Ehlers, Shifley, and Velarde and you stick with it for a few games. Maybe they don't score you know, against Vancouver, even though if they don't, they're most, if, if the Shifley line doesn't score against Vancouver, most likely they're, they're not winning because Vancouver is a good offensive team. I just, it, at this point, it just seems like it's kind of musical chairs from game to game, right, Dave? Well, it's funny as he, there was one of the comments because the lady behind Drew was like shuffling the chairs. And so <laughs> I thought that was, and they said it was appropriate given what we're talking about right now. And look, I understand. I mean, you've got a new player in Sean Monahan. This was expected that it was going to take some games for him to kind of get used to the system, figure things out and get acclimatized. And, you know, we, we talked with Cole Perfetti about that a couple of days ago, and, and we knew that this is going to be a process. But I mean, again, and you've got a lot of points in the standings bank, so you're, you're okay in that regard. But, you know, like I said, especially against the next little stretch, right? When you play teams like 
Chicago. And then who do they play after? I know they've got Minnesota. And Minnesota's hard charging right now. Minnesota and Declan Chisholm, we should mention, is making his Minnesota Wild debut tonight. Thought actually maybe he'd be making it against the Jets on Tuesday, but he's making his debut. Uh, the 2018 fifth rounder of Winnipeg will be making his Minnesota Wild debut this evening. Uh, so that's that's a about time because it was interesting. He's been claimed all it's already been two weeks since he was claimed by the Wild, but he's uh, he'll be getting some NHL action for the first time since I think December fifth. But look, I mean, it's it's there's there's teams that are the Canucks. Look at the Canucks. The Canucks have played four more games than Winnipeg. I think they played 55. Winnipeg's played 51. The Canucks have scored 51 more goals than the Jets. Now, they've also given up about 20 more than Winnipeg has. But, I mean, that's that's a significant number. Now, to the point that he's making, they score a lot. Now, you've got Connor Hellebuck in net. Rick Bone has confirmed that yesterday. So, we know that, you know, you've got your number one goaltender who's going to be amped up to, to play this game. But, again, it, it's just... How long do you keep these things? Like, I understand the problem for Rick Bonus is that he said, well, you know, we want to we want to give this a few days. We want to give this some runway, to use a jet analogy. So you want to give this some runway to see what you've got. But then he's the one who made the switches, right? He's the one who dropped Velarde. He's the one who made the moves. So, I mean, you don't have that sort of, even Gabe Velarde, when we talked to him uh, at the beginning of this week, said, you know, he was asked about the line with Monaghan and Perfetti. And he said, well, you know, we only played like a game and a half together. There hasn't been a lot of, you know, opportunity really to develop that sort of chemistry. So, I mean, Rick Bonus himself has really sort of tinkered <laughs> with with the formula almost prematurely, if you will. And I understand because he's trying to get goal scoring, but you know, you can't have both ways. You can't want to let them develop chemistry, but also want goal scoring because you know what's giving you goal scoring. I think, boys, and I and I think that the chat would probably agree. What this ultimately comes back to is what ran when Kyle Connor was injured and you yeah. went 12, 2 and 2 in the 16 games he missed over five weeks and you were scoring wasn't that and it wasn't just the one line scoring wasn't the second line scoring it was all four lines were contributing so where does that go why does it just disappear it's like it's like water at the bottom of a pond that just is gone now suddenly it's a dry pond right and you can't blame the player break and you can't blame the fact that Sean Monaghan is new to the system and everything like that because Monaghan's actually been pretty good, I would say, for a guy that hasn't put up any points, right, Dave? Like, mm-hmm. he's winning his face-offs. He's been out there on the power play, even, even though it seems like the Jets don't really get many power plays these days, mm-hmm. right? But, like, it's not a chemistry thing. It's a finishing thing because mm-hmm. we talked about it. I mean, the the shot attempts, what were they, 85 or something like that against yeah, the Sharks? something like that. So, I mean, they yeah, you could say that, you know, the Jets have to simplify their game a little bit but it just doesn't seem like there's chemistry on any of the lines right now. And it goes back to, right, when the fourth line had Dominic Toninato, Axel Janssen-Fialbi, and Morgan Barron, where we were calling it the mad line or the damn line. I mean, that line was chipping in offensively, right? Like, And obviously, Barron just scored his ninth goal of the season, mm-hmm. uh, career high. Dave M. pointed that out on, on Twitter. Um, but right now, it's, it's, it's a problem. And again, I don't think it's as big of a problem for me now as if we're talking about this in another week after they play the Canucks and they play the Flames and they play the Wild and then don't they have Arizona a week from now Yeah, at home? But the thing is, like, that Coyotes team just got spanked 5-1 at home in uh, Drew's home state of Arizona there. <laughs> uh, but, I mean, Carolina's a great team. And, and Arizona's not an easy out. Arizona, we know they have good goaltending. But, but, the, but, the Jets but you should to... beat them. But I'm just saying, like, I will be more – if we're talking about this a week from now – and the Jets are still struggling to to score goals against teams like the Flames and the Wild, 
then I'm going to be even more concerned. But this is a very important stretch for the Jets here, these next three games. They, they need to find a way, and maybe it's a function of the, the long layoffs between games, because that's sort of, it is an unusual part of the schedule, yeah. where you can't find any of the chemistry, or you maybe find chemistry for a period or two, and then you have three days off Which before drew, playing ju- another just game. Quick- which just quickly, sorry to interject, but Velarde did say when he was asked about the benefit, because we, I think Kelly Moore had asked him, is there a benefit to having this kind of time off of games so you guys can develop the chemistry and practice? And Velarde kind of looked at him and said, well, you can look at it that way, but I don't. And he wasn't being like uh, confrontational. He was being matter of fact, but he basically said, I would rather be playing games and getting that in-game experience with these guys then practice, practice, practice. So uh, to the point you're making, right. you know, he would, I think he would expect that game every, like the, let's put it this way. He wants the March schedule in February. Well, so maybe now that you have three and four nights starting tonight in Vancouver against, you know, the uh, big test against Vancouver, because, you know, whatever people think about the Canucks, whether they're going to regress to the mean because their PDO is too high. I mean, regardless, Vancouver is clearly a very good hockey team, even if that PDO comes down when it comes down and they begin to, you know, not be at, uh, at this level of success. There's no denying that the Canucks are a damn good hockey team, but you got three and four nights. So maybe that is... Is what allows you to sort of generate that more consistency and generate that more uh, connectivity that has been missing from this team for so long. So it's always the rest versus rust debate sure. that we hear so often. Remember, you know, when the Jets uh, swept the Oilers in the COVID playoffs that one year and everyone was flying high and then they came back and they just looked like a different team against the Canadians and then they got swept by the Canadians in the second round. Rest versus rust. Well, the rest period is really sort of coming to an end and maybe that's good for the Jets because that'll get rid of some of the rust that they're experiencing and maybe the offense will begin to generate as a result. Regardless of if it does or doesn't, Later tonight, the Illegal Curve post-game show will cover it all. That's going to be, hang on, let me do some math. That'll be about 11.30, 11.45 Central Time, an hour earlier here in Arizona, where I am residing for this week's edition of the Illegal Curve Hockey Show. Living that retirement life with Sheldon, I love it. I am living living that retirement life. I'll be back on Tuesday. Don't worry, I'll be back for that. When we come back, our good friend from Post Media, and the Winnipeg Sun, Ted Wyman, joins us on the show. Drew Mandel, Dave Manouk, Ezra Ginsberg with you. It's the Illegal Curve Hockey Show. Saturday morning, we're live on all of our uh, on all of our social media platforms. Bottom of our number one, the Illegal Curve Hockey Show rolls on on this Saturday morning. Drew Mandel, Dave Manouk, Ezra Ginsberg, and we're thrilled to welcome back to the program our good friend, the sports editor of the Winnipeg Sun, Ted Wyman, joins us on the phone. Not the phone, you know what I meant, the computer, as we are live here on our YouTube channel. Teddy, good morning. Nice to see you. How are things? Good morning, fellas. Things are pretty good. Um, you know, three weeks in Mexico does wonders for the mind and body. And uh, I'm uh, just back in Winnipeg for a few days now, getting caught up. Obviously, lots and lots of sports news to talk about. Not just hockey, I'll tell you, man. Curling's pretty interesting right Scotties. now. Scotties. Granny of Scotties, Ted. Yeah, the, what's going on with uh, Carrie Einerson and, and her lead on the team? I mean, that is a stunner to come out right, you know, hours before the opening draw yesterday. Yeah, I can't give you the scoop. I don't know if anybody can. I mean, I have talked to 
everyone up and down, like all the contacts they have in the sport, which is quite a lot. And everybody's just perplexed by it. So can't tell you for sure what's going on there, but it sure was a bombshell. And it's uh, kind of news that's hanging over the whole event right now. It'll be interesting to see if anybody decides to get out in front of it instead of having this big ambiguous uh, situation. Because, you know, and not to get to, to not to become a, the, the hog line violation curling show, but, uh, you know, like if it was a residency issue, this would have been resolved a long time ago, right? Yeah, I don't think it's that. Okay, there you go. Anyways, Ted will keep you covered on everything going on at the Scotties, uh, which has got underway yesterday. And of course, Jen Jones announcing her retirement after just the most epic career imaginable for any athlete in any sport. And wouldn't it be great if she could somehow wrap it up getting her seventh uh, Scotties title? Uh, this week, uh, this week. Anyways, that's a separate issue altogether. We brought you on, Teddy, to talk about the Winnipeg Jets. We spent the first 30 minutes of the show sort of talking about the offense and the lack thereof. It's been a continuing concern. From your perspective, I'm sure you kept track of things still uh, in sunny Mexico. You know, why all of a sudden a team that was pretty adept at scoring can no longer do so from your, from your mindset? Well, I, you know, I only have theories on that one, to be honest. And, and you know, I was lucky enough. I was in a town called Bucerías for a big part of um, of my time in Mexico. And, man, they show every hockey game. Like, there's, like, <laughs> you go into a bar there, it's like Winnipeg. There's so many Jets okay. fans. I actually watched the Jets-Leafs game the one night, and half the room was Leaf fans and half the room was Jets fans. It was quite you a You must have gone to Jack's, right? I've been to Jack's, but this was at a place yeah. called the Goalie that time. So uh, just as yeah. a quick aside, my wife, Naomi, she always likes to do Proud Mary when she, there's a live band and the, the band there let her come up and do Proud Mary in uh, Boost. We got away from our kids because we were staying in, in Nuevo. But uh, yeah, Bucerías is, is beautiful. But that like Jack's spot Ezzie, is beautiful. If, if, if there's no video that you're willing to share, then that didn't I do have video. As as I actually do have video. Then of come on, upload it to the site so we can see that. Uh, we can see that. Anyway, I was lucky enough to see the games. I didn't see anybody from Winnipeg seeing Proud Mary, so I missed out on that part. But, uh, <laughs> the, the, uh, you know, the, the takeaway is that this, it feels, it felt to me a little bit like last season. And I couldn't help but wonder if when this team plays the defensive style that it does, it's just so locked in on it. And Rick Bonus got them to play that style right from the start of the season. And it creates this fantastic early season um, success, right? Because they're just clamping down. They're playing great. They're generating offense from defense, all those kinds of things. But then around the midway part of the season, it starts to change. And you wonder if it's other teams making adjustments, figuring out what this team's game plan is overall. And a team that has become so defense first, maybe now finds a little bit of trouble generating the offense that it did. And, um, you know, it doesn't take a genius to see it. They're just not scoring very many goals. It's kind of amazing, really. Just since I've been back, they've uh, actually not even, I was still in Mexico when they played Pittsburgh. They don't play that many games these days right now. And, uh, and, and just three goals in the last two games, and they still win both games. It's going to be tough to find success all season long with that formula. And, I mean, you're talking about Vancouver Canucks. That's not a team that's going to, you know, um, be easy to beat if you can only score one or two goals. So um, it has to change. You need a little bit more offense from Sean Monahan. You need more offense from the defense, which is something that was such a big part of why this team um, was successful early on this season and early on last season. 
obviously the top line guys have to get going. I mean, I will say this. I agree with my colleague Scott Billick on the column that he wrote after the last game, and that was that at least, even though they were playing one of the worst teams in the league, at least they did generate a ton of shot attempts. They did create the kind of possession that you would expect to be able to score goals, and it was a sign that things are starting to break out. Eh, they only scored once, though. And I mean, it doesn't matter how many shot attempts you get. If you're not putting the puck in the net, it's not going to lead to success. But it certainly was an encouraging uh, development, I thought, in terms of the long-term prognosis for this team. Ted, you mentioned that you were in Mexico for three weeks, and I think it's been three weeks since the Jets scored a power play goal. Uh, that was <laughs> that was my big joke that I had queued up for you. But, I mean, I'm not going to ask you what's wrong with the power play because what I mentioned last week to the guys was, I mean, this is this is something that goes back to the kind of the 2017-2019 Jets when they had Buff and Lyonet and Truba and all these big shots on the on the power play. Like, this is is this not getting to a point where if the Jets continue to struggle on the power play over the next three weeks, which coincides with the March 9th trade deadline, if you're Chevy, are you not trying to bring in like a power play specialist like Marty Baron, TSN? mentioned Vladimir Tarasenko he's obviously a guy who scored a lot of power play goals like it all it, it's almost mind-boggling at this point how terrible the Jets power play is but you know who else has scored a lot of power play goals Kyle Connor <laughs> and he's just not scoring them right and Mark Shifley scored a lot of power play goals and he's not scoring them it you know I'm not sure that Vladimir Tarasenko is going to give you that magic bullet to make your power play good it's just it's about the process it's about the system it's about making like it's control of the puck it's good zone entries it's all those little things it's winning face-offs at the right time when you're in the offensive zone and they're not doing that very well lately I mean there's a lot of contributing factors to why they're not having success on the power play and I mean it, it's just an ongoing problem it might be a coaching issue I mean it, it hasn't been very good all season you got to work through that and you've got to find some ways to get pucks into the net. And, and in that situation, it's easy enough for me to say, but I, I just, and, and, you know, I'll tell you what else, like the Boston Bruins didn't have a great power play last season. They had one of the best seasons in the history of the NHL. It's not always imperative that you have the best power play to be successful, but it sure would help. <laughs> and especially <laughs> when you're struggling to score like the Jets are, um, what is it, 10 goals in 13 games or something crazy like that? Like, it's a really low number. You've got to take advantage of those chances when you get them. So I do think that, uh, you know, I, I think they've got to do something, switch it up, move different guys around, put guys in different positions, change the trigger man if you have to. Whatever you need to do, you've got to figure out a way to get a goal or two on the power play if you're going to, you know, try to become a more offensive team. Ted Wyman is our guest Saturday morning. It's the Illegal Curve Hockey Show. Drew Mandel, Dave Manuk, Ezra Ginsberg later tonight after the Jets and the Canucks, the Illegal Curve post-game show right around 11.45 p.m. Central Time back here on our YouTube channel. Long day for you guys. Long day. And a moose game in, in, in between, Keddy. So it'll be, a, it'll be a real long one. But you and, know what? And I just have to swim all day and then go into yeah. the hot tub and back and forth and back and forth. It's very yeah. difficult. You, tough, tough life for Drew. I, I'm in Scottsdale, the how the the city that Ken Wee built. <laughs> it's freedom, yeah. Ted. It's freedom forty two for Drew. <laughs> nice. Ted, you know, 
The, the big yeah, question. Really having success. I'm happy to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> Drew got all the money. It's like he's like the let, let oh, he's a, of the group. Yeah, he, he absconded yeah. with everything. We're, we got we're, nothing. we're yeah. stuck in River Heights and Drew's in Scottsdale. <laughs> yeah. Um, Ted, you know, the, the big question mark right now with, uh, you know, we talk about three weeks to the trade deadline is what do the Jets need to acquire? Do they need the focus? Obviously, was a right shot defenseman, someone big, strong, you know, uh, like let's call him a Tanev type, a Chris Tanev type. That was kind of the the model that most folks were, were cued in on. My question to you is kind of a two-parter, but number one, do you still feel like that's the, the need for this Jets club, or do you think they need a winger to kind of augment some of the scoring woes that they're in right now? And what do you take from this Vili Hainola talk that we've been hearing lately? Yesterday, Friedman on the 32 Thoughts podcast was discussing the Western Conference arms race, and he said, well, the Jets – really want to get Hainola in there. They're considering him an internal ad uh, two days ago, three days ago, Kevin. Thanks, thanks off. for that breaking news from Elliot, by the yeah, way. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but which, And I was going to say, really all it did was reiterate the point Kevin Chevaldayoff made when he was on a, the NHL wraparound uh, podcast with former Rangers GM, Neil Smith. And he essentially was asked about it. And he said, well, he, he gave a very Chevy, Chevy answer. He said, well, we could nibble. We could do big. We could do nothing. We could do in the middle. And he goes, and then, and then he talked about Hainola and he essentially said, well, we view him as an internal ad. So do you think, but, and now the question becomes, do you think that's a, the Jets trying to get out and say, well, listen, we don't really need to make a trade for a defenseman. So he's trying to lower the cost. Or do you think that's actually their, their way of thinking that, Hey, Hainola is someone they're planning. Once the roster size limits are eliminated, someone they're planning on bringing in. Uh, to your original question, it's a little from column E and all column A and column B because you could use an ad either spot, really. I mean, you could if you really believe you have to have a right shot defenseman there. I mean, that's obviously Nate Schmidt's been on that third pairing um, on the right side. Uh, I thought Logan Stanley played pretty well in the absence of Brendan Dillon, at least the last game he sure did. And um, they're getting Dillon back now. Um, I, I've never had a huge issue with this defense. I mean, <clears throat> they're a very good defensive hockey team. They're playing well. The third pairing has been successful with, uh, and Dylan Sandberg's really developed into a very good player. I mean, I don't see a huge issue there, and I don't know what your ad's going to be that's going to make you that much better on the defensive side. I mean, you could probably upgrade on Nate Schmidt a bit, and then you've got a what is it, $5 million guy sitting on your bench, but I guess you do what you got to do, right, to try to win. Um, and then as it looks up front, this is a top six that should be able to score. So, you know, and they've got a pretty good uh, balance throughout the lineup. You know, with Morgan Barron, I think what he's got nine goals playing on the fourth line. That's not bad. In the past, mm -hmm. a lot of Jets' fourth liners <laughs> were one or two. So that's a big difference. I just, you know, they're in a slump when it comes to scoring goals. They've got to find a way to break out of that. And that's really the thing that's going to make the difference. I don't know how much the ad is going to help in this situation. And then the Villianola situation, you know, I mean, I wouldn't rule out even trading him if it were me, just because they haven't been able to bring him along and get him into the lineup here. And if he was really worth something that got you something really good that could make you, you know, uh, kind of an over-the-top kind of playoff team it would be worth considering, uh, I personally think, but it doesn't really sound like that. I read that story on your site, Dave, about uh, <laughs> said. and, you know, I was interested in it because the fact that he started talking about own 
you know, own ad, internal ad made you think, well, maybe they do want to make that happen. But I don't even really know in my mind where he fits in, in, in that situation either, when you've already got this group of six defensemen that you've got. So, um, and Stanley sort of hanging around on the edge. So it's just a matter of, uh, it's a matter of identifying what really is going to make a difference for this team. I don't think it needs to be better defensively. It's been a very good defensive hockey team and it's got a great goaltender and they've got, you know, a chance to be successful based on those properties. Certainly you get in the playoffs, you want to be a great defensive team and you want to have a great goaltender and maybe you're going to win every game two on and it's going to be fine. And I just want to say one thing too. Somehow in the down the stretch run here, you know, like to make sure that you hold on to a decent playoff spot. They've got a great grip on it right now. When you look at the standings, it would be a heck of a drop to to fall out or even close to the playoff Mm -hmm. line. But you know, you got to make sure you stay where you are. And and I agree with you, Ted. Like, you know, it's really hard to predict what Chevy's going to do because he already made a big move, right? And I know there's a certain you know, a subsection of Jets fans that think, you know, this team is good enough if you bring in, let's say, a Pavel Buchnevich or, or a Chris Tanev. But, you know, I'm kind of leaning more towards maybe picking up a guy like a Sean Walker, right? Like a guy who, you know, won't, like, I don't know what Sean Walker would cost, a second-round pick and maybe, a, like, maybe Logan Stanley in a second-round pick. Like, I have no idea, but I know a lot of Jets fans want Chris Tanev. The only thing is, we hear the Canucks want Tanev because obviously Tanev used to play for the Canucks and, you know, the Leafs like Tanev just to me is there. It's not a very good crop of trade deadline targets, by the way. Like, it's not like we're talking about, like, like you said, Vladimir Tarasenko, you weren't as high on as, as other people. Like, I agree. Like if your big guns like Kyle Connor, Cole Perfetti and Nick Ehlers aren't scoring, um, you know, that's a bigger problem. You, you got to figure that out first and get the offense back to where it was, you know, back in, you know, November and December. Well, I honestly think, Ezzy, if you can get Chris Tanev, absolutely you want to get Chris Tanev. I mean, who wouldn't want that guy? He's a shot blocker extraordinaire. He's he yep. score, you know, he can contribute offensively. He's a warrior. You would love to have a guy like that for the playoffs. So if you can do it, then yeah, I think you you want to be in the mix on something like that. And it does sort of upset the apple cart a little bit on defense. They'd have to, you know, move some players around and figure out how that's going to work, but. It like if you're all in and you've already made your trade for Monaghan, which seems like you kind of are, um, then you, you're going to be more all in. And you and I think they made their ad up front. So, it, you know, I, I talked about not going either way earlier. I think if you are going to make an ad, it probably should be on defense. And and if you're going to get a player that's going to make you that much better, a guy like Tanev, I'm not sure they're going to get a guy like that that's the problem you said the crop yeah exactly I, I i just wanted to clarify i would love for, i would love for the jets to get tanov i just think there's probably there might be six teams that are after him right now I mean, it might be eight teams i have no idea i just i don't want to get people's hopes up too high ted <laughs> right but i mean that would be a great ad there's just no doubt about it but we talk about this every year guys and like 80 to 90 percent of the guys that get brought up or some are are unrealistic at times right like it's just that's you know there's 16 other teams in the hunt for them. So you've got a one in 16 chance of getting them. Remember and when Jets fans wanted Stamkos, Ted? <laughs> Mark Stone, right? Like, obviously, people hoped that there would be a chance that he'd want to come here because he was from Winnipeg, but you can't compete with Vegas on that situation. They weren't able to compete with Vegas and they didn't get him. 
And look what he's done for Vegas. I mean, what a difference maker he could have been over the years for this team. But it's not easy in Winnipeg. So, And they've already spent a very big asset to get Sean Monaghan. So how many more of those big assets are you willing to give away to get a pretty top playoff performer like Chris Tanner? Well, we're you know we're we're talking about the offensive doldrums, Ted, and, and there's no question that the, that they're prevalent for the Winnipeg Jets. Yet the one of the biggest offensive drivers on this team, Nikolai Ehlers, is always the guy who seems to be getting his minutes reduced rather than expanded upon. Is that just because of his creativity? Coaches can't handle that because and not just you know. Because it's not just been Rick Bonus, it's been over you know Paul Maurice before him. It's just because he doesn't fit squarely in the in a box of predictability, it seems like he's the one who's always getting his reins pulled hardest rather than some of the other play. And as a result, the team might be losing out on some of that offensive creativity that he brings to a table that that he brings to the table for a team that's so desperate for some of that offensive creativity. Well, much to the chagrin of Jets Nation, right, guys? I mean, like, right. like no, nothing gets Twitter, or sorry, X, going like a Nikolai Ehlers demotion. And um, it, it sometimes it, it seems weird. It's like it just doesn't line up with what we in the press box see or even what we see in the analytics chart or any of those things. And then all of a sudden, he's the one that's being singled out and, and demoted. But... There's also the other side of it, and and that's that if the coach thinks Alex Ayafalo might make a difference in getting that line going, then he makes a move like that. And you can't really deny if he thinks that means something that's going to change the way Shifley's playing or the way Connor's playing or whatever, then maybe you just have to do it. And somehow that's what it ends up being for Nikolai Ehlers is that he ends up playing in a more reduced role. Um, I think like there's nobody better on this team – that I can ever remember at zone entries. I mean, the guy is fantastic at it. He backs the defense in basically and gets fucking every time. Nobody else has that ability. And so you'd think that would make all the difference in terms of being on a top line and giving that opportunity for creativities. And then again, you see these other situations and I just like, I, I, I'm not there in the, in the, in the head of Rick bonus and his coaching staff to know why, what they see that takes him, out of that mix and he doesn't share those things with us so it's a bit perplexing at time there are times there's no doubt about it um and i guess it sometimes shows you that what we think we know isn't always everything <laughs> that's hard and to that believe. leads and, yeah and that leads next nicely ted into my next question because we're about 20 minutes into the interview here so i think you're ready for the hard-hitting question here rutger mcgrordy 20 2022 14th overall pick he's got last time i checked he had 30 39 38 points in 24 games he either scored two goals or three goals last night for the university of michigan dave's the michigan guy so if dave gives me the thumbs up i think rutger had two goals last night for the university of michigan and i'm i'm not just asking you this question teddy because a lot of people in the chat are talking about rutger but i mean obviously the big speculation is a is rutger going to sign his pro contract uh, which we don't know. I mean, there's a good chance he's, we should mention he's played two seasons now with the University of Michigan. And the second part of that question is, Ted, if he does sign his entry-level contract, what do you think the chances are that the Jets would use him regularly in the lineup? Because there's always the chance they give him a game towards the end of the regular season. But I guess what are your kind of th- 
thoughts on Rucker McGrory turning pro and then maybe having an impact with the Jets this season? First of all, if Dave's the Michigan guy, does that mean you can do the Michigan? <laughs> no, I guess not. Okay. Well, I cannot. I cannot, Ted. And I'm not going to lie, as I haven't thought about this that much, so it's it's definitely being sprung upon me, uh, you know, for kind of a instant reaction. But I did read, uh, you know, I have been following what Rutger McGrody's been doing. I mean, it's pretty incredible, right? Like, I mean, and and <laughs> we all know what he's been like when he's been here for development camps and 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 whatnot. And his personality is just off the charts. He's going to be one of the most popular jets of all time assuming that they get him signed and and get him here um and i think he seems like the kind of player who's mature enough having played um at the college level where he's at plus at the world junior and having such success there who could make a difference for this team you know i mean when and i'm just talking about on paper i don't know the backroom kind of situation of when you want to sign a guy to a contract, when, when it's going to burn um, any of his time. I don't think, I think if they brought him in late in the season, it wouldn't burn time, right? Like if you get him into a game or whatever, but um, it seems like the kind of situation where you could do that. You at least have the option of considering it. And if, and have we seen that? We have seen that before, right? We have seen players sign late in the season with teams and go on and be impact players in the playoffs. Um, and maybe just maybe that's something that you can do, but it's very hard to speculate when you don't know what the scouting staff right. and the, and the personnel people have planned for him, right? You know, they have a, they have something laid out that they want to, uh, to lead to his success as a pro player. And, and it seems likely Ted, be. by the way, that he is going to sign his pro contract, but that's just based on, I think. More so that it, it appears that he's NHL ready, right? Like I don't think I don't think anybody knows who covers the Jets really if it's a foregone conclusion that he's going to sign. There always is the chance that he plays a third year with the University of Michigan. I just think most people are leaning towards him signing because he appears to be NHL ready, right? I think when I mean logically, based on past precedent, it, you know. You know, you would expect that he'd sign when the Michigan season is over. He would burn a year of that entry-level contract by playing one game or a couple games down the stretch that are relatively likely to be relatively meaningless, assuming the Jets have locked Similar up. Similar to what Andrew Cop did, right? Similar to what Andrew Cop did, exactly. Mm -hmm. You get him out, you, you get him into the organization. You know, but to expect him to come in and, I mean, there's no obvious role for him to play you know, to slot into the top 12 for the Jets come playoff team, that would be, that would be really, I would say unexpected, you know, barring injury, of course, but the Jets seem pretty set right now with their top 12, Never mind any other additions they might make come trade deadline time that he's going to bump one of those guys out of the lineup. But you come in, you bring him into the organization, you let him burn a year of the entry-level contract, you get him around the guys and within the dressing room as a maybe a black ace for the playoffs or something yeah. like that. And I think then I think it's a lot more... That's, that's what I think is more likely. I, I, I don't see Rutgers stepping right in to the first round of the playoffs and playing in the Jets' top six. Even though I think his his ceiling as an NHLer is very high, maybe like a 70 to 80 point guy, right? Like we all kind of view him as kind of like uh, in the morning. 20 years of, old. Of the let Kachuk him, brothers. Develop. Yeah, he doesn't he doesn't turn 20 actually for another month. But right. the point is, and and Dave mentioned Andrew Kopp. Kopp actually played three years 
for the University of Michigan. And right. there's a difference there, right? Like you're talking about Rucker McGrody, I think is is more of a highly regarded prospect. We would oh, agree, Ted, but I think what? it's more likely to, fourth to what, yeah. yeah. So more, I think Drew, you nailed it. I think it's more likely that McGrody plays maybe a game or two and then he watches and he's just around the team. I just think it's, and it's also like, you got to factor this in, Ted. It's a lot of pressure to put in uh, for a guy, right? To put him right into the lineup. Let's say, you know, the Jets are playing the Avalanche, for example, in the first round. It's a lot of pressure to put on a guy at 20 years old. I'm just saying I wouldn't rule it out. I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't rule it out either. I'm just leaning towards him playing a game or two and not playing in the playoffs. But I could be wrong. Why are you burning a, a year of his contract to do that? But that's what you get because that's, that's, the, that's the enticement to get him to sign. You get, I guess. That, that's, I mean, that's the trade-off. You get a chance to be a free agent sooner. Well, no, I mean, he doesn't gain, so he gains a, he doesn't actually gain a year towards free agency. He just gains the year towards the contract, a new contract. The, yeah. a new contract. So he doesn't, oh, yeah. it doesn't get him closer to free agency. That's well, just the, yeah, I mean, that's the MO as of late for a lot of these teams and a lot of these sure. U.S. college players. And I'm not, again, I'm not saying that you're, I'm not saying that you're like planning on having him around for the playoffs in that situation. But I mean, if the guy is a good player, and he's played all season long at a very high level. And, you know, and, and you think he's NHL ready. If there's any chance that he can make an impact and you've got a spot, maybe there's an injury, maybe there's something that works out. It's got to be worth considering. That's all I'm saying. And I mean, I'm not. That's I, why I, I asked you the question, Teddy. This yeah, is the conversation we need, right? To, right? But if it worked out that way, we have seen this happen in the past. I'm not, I'm, it's not coming to me exactly what player I would be talking about, but we have seen that where guys have come in as rookies who barely played during the season and made an impact in the playoffs. So Kale McCarr is a guy that that immediately jumps to mind. Yeah, that came Cole Caulfield too in Montreal. He did. The, yes. He did. You know. So it's not unheard of, but I don't see an obvious spot for him uh, in this Jets top twelve. And sort of, you know, seeing how Rick Bonus typically deploys his players and most coaches. They often will defer to veteran guys rather than uh, the, than the youngins come come playoff time. Dave, I, I just want to add: there's also the possibility we haven't discussed, which is he signs his ELC, then signs a PTO, plays for the Moose, right. and goes and plays for the. If, if the Moose make the playoffs, they're in a playoff spot now. Uh, he could potentially get some runway with the Moose, play on the Moose, you know, to end the regular season. I, I that personally, that's the avenue I see more likely for him, just based on the Jets' past history. But your guys are right; it's possible. But I could see him. You know, playing with the Moose, going on, a, getting some regular season games with Manitoba, and then, of course, playing in the playoffs with those guys there. That's, I mean, those are all the Jets' prospects, right? That's their young prospect pool. So, so that's kind of the avenue I would see the Jets taking with Rutger. But I do see, look, it, not, crazier things have happened. Let's put it that way. Just one more thing on on this, Ted. Just checked. Kale McCarr played two years at UMass Amherst. And then if you remember in 2019-20, he didn't play for the Avalanche during the regular season and went right into the playoffs and played 10 games that year. So I'm just saying, I'm not comparing Rucker McGrody to Kale yeah. McCarr. I'm just saying <laughs> when you have these special players, and Rucker McGrody is a special player, like people are already talking about him as the future Jets captain. He hasn't uh, even played a single NHL game. All I'm He's saying not is, Kale McCarr. Well, I just said that. I said I'm not comparing the two. All I'm saying is there is the possibility he could play for the Jets in the playoffs. I think that's yeah. a reality. Don't you guys think that he seems like a playoff player? Yes. Mm -hmm. No like, question. Given what we saw from him at the World Junior, I mean, I would agree. If, if, if it's a playoff kind of player, I think it's worth considering. 
Look, we will find out more and more about this Winnipeg Jets team in the coming weeks as the trade deadline approaches and then playoff season shortly thereafter. I'm available for the Riser podcast, by the way, Ted. Just let me know. Finally, a plug. I've been hoping all day long we'd get something on that. Plug it, plug it, plug it, Ted. Hey, I plug Jets. Teddy, Teddy, I plug Jet Setting like nobody else. I know you are our, our biggest fan, and we appreciate that. Me too. I'm following. I'm following the riser. Yes. Well, hey, I, I finally am in the podcast world like you guys. It's only took it take me 15 years to catch up, but uh, you know, um, you know, we're coming for you fast, guys. But <laughs> um, yeah, really fun though. Really enjoying that with my buddy Greg Strong out of Toronto. A lot of nas- national focus and uh, a lot of kind of focus on getting to know journalists across the country and um, understanding a bit about how they got into the business and who they really are. And we've really enjoyed um, that aspect of the show. We look forward to getting our invite any day now to join the show, but that's okay, Teddy. Well, we're not, hey, we're not I, Ted remembers, anything. this is like going back 15, maybe longer than that, Ted. I used to write those um, rising stars. I, I covered amateur athletes for the Winnipeg Sun. So Ted, as the sports editor, gave me my my first break. I didn't necessarily go in the print media route, but hey, that's, uh, you know, I do have a little bit of a journalism background. Hey, man, I know. <laughs> Where would you guys be without Red River College anyways, right? Exactly. <laughs> Amen yeah. to that, Ted Wyman. You're right about that. RRC Teddy, thank you. From uh, from curling to hockey and everything in between, we look forward to uh, your appearances on this show, and we appreciate you joining us this Saturday morning. We'll let you get on with your day, but we'll catch up again real soon. Thanks for having me on, and especially thanks for having me before Chuck Hellebuck, because, man, <laughs> I don't want to go after that guy. <laughs> Ted, thank you. We'll talk again real soon. There he goes, Ted Wyman, joining okay. us this morning. When we come back, trade deadline talk. It's a few weeks away, and then Chuck Hellebuck at the bottom of our number two. Drew Mandel, Dave Manuk, Ezra Ginsburg with you. It's the Illegal Curve Hockey Show on this Saturday morning. Keeping Winnipeg laughing for over 30 years. Rumors, Canada's longest-running comedy club, bringing you the biggest laughs from the best comedians on the planet. Jerry Seinfeld, Chris Rock, Jon Stewart, Dennis Miller, Brad Garrett, the greats, and all the up-and-comers, too. When was the last time you laughed out loud? Make it a great night out with friends or book your office or birthday party, even a fundraising event at Rumors. Get all the details and dates on upcoming shows at RumorsComedyClub.com. Whoa, Ezzy, everything okay? You look stressed. Of course I'm stressed. We're moving, the house is upside down, the kids failed miserably at packing the fine china, and my life is in chaos. Chaos! Yes, that does sound like a problem. What am I going to do? Ezzy, relax. Rolly's transfer moving and storage is the answer. With 60 years of experience in moving Manitobans and a track record of exemplary customer service, one call to Rolly's and your stress is gone. No job is too big or too small. Just visit rollies.com and they will take it from there. Thanks, Dave. And thank you, Rollies Transfer Moving and Storage, online at rollies.com. Hey, Drew. Ezzy, whoa, what a smile. Yeah, I got my crowns done at Linden Market Dental Center and they whiten my teeth. I see. They're so bright that every time I smile, they go, We have hockey tonight. Do you have a mouth guard to protect those pearly whites? I sure do. Whoa, they even ting through the mouth guard. Linden Market Dental Center covers all your dental needs from restorative to cosmetic dentistry and will fit you with a sports guard for that active lifestyle. 877 Waverly. See LindenMarketDental.com. 
Boston Pizza harnessed analytics to test if the game is better at home or at Boston Pizza. The results are irrefutable. Catch the game at Boston Pizza, powered by Fanalytics. We did it again. You're on fire, man. There's power in a handshake. After a great game or great deal, it shows professionalism and respect. Two qualities Zapia Group Realty take pride in. You don't build a business where 95% of your clients are referred by others without honesty, integrity, and total dedication to client satisfaction. To sell your home for more in less time, shake hands with Frank and Mauro Zappia of Zappia Group Realty. Get started at zappiagroup.com. Hour number two of the Illegal Curve Hockey Show starts now on this Saturday morning. Drew Mandel, Dave Manouk, Ezra Ginsberg with you still to come on the show. International man of mystery, Chuck Hellebuck joining us at the bottom of the hour. Reminder, later tonight, the Jets and the Canucks, they'll do battle. The Illegal Curve post-game show, 11.45 p.m. Central Time, 10.45 p.m. Mountain Time, where I'm currently residing for the next couple of days. Don't worry, I'll be back to the... Uh, beauty of Winnipeg come uh, Tuesday night's post-game show. The rematch, the heated rematch between the Jets and the Wild, the first time those two teams have met since uh, La Affaire Hartman broke out uh, not that long ago. So that should be a doozy. In the problem is, Drew, that, the problem is, that, is, is that the Declan Chisholm revenge game or is that the Cole Perfetti revenge game, guys? Well, I think it's, well, it wouldn't, it's the former, not the latter. And I'll tell you why, because the Wild are hard charging. I think they've won like four or five games in a row. And they're nipping at a playoff spot. So they actually have to play hockey on Tuesday. They can't, it can't just be about trying to take Nikolai Ehlers out for the rest of the season. Did the Wild even want to make the playoffs? It's like, congratulations, you're going to get swept by Dallas. <laughs> or Vancouver, depending on which team uh, finishes the top and where uh, and everything else. But time will tell on that front, of course. We'll have it all covered for you on IllegalCurve.com and here on our YouTube channel, as we always do. But of course, the Jets do have that Monday matinee in Calgary as well. So a busy little stretch for the Jets after so much time off throughout this course, uh, throughout the majority of this month of February. Uh, we are about two weeks away, uh, maybe three weeks away uh, from the NHL trade deadline. Yeah, exactly three weeks, Drew, March 9th. Yeah, which will come on the Friday, uh, March the 8th, in fact, as he. So, so Friday, March the 8th is the trade deadline. I thought uh, it was March so, 9th. No, that's okay. We'll forgive you on this one. It's the Friday. Okay, I got afternoon. a question for you, Drew. I'm going to put you on the spot here. I mentioned this on last post-game show. Which yep. extremely famous rapper died on March 9th? Uh, Tupac? No. The other one, Biggie. Uh, Biggie Biggie Smalls. He died on March 9th. Good to know. I didn't know that. Uh, but, uh, you know, I look forward to seeing Ice Cube at the end of this month as well. So that'll be uh, something I'm looking at. It was a good day, Drew. It was a good day. Indeed, it was. A lot of good things happened for me on that day, much like they did for uh, for Ice Cube in in, in that legendary song. Drewby Clubbin. Drewby Clubbin. You know, don't don't go me don't get me started. I'll, I'll, I don't want to I don't want to start uh, freestyling or anything here on the show. Get Please people don't. a little bit. <laughs> don't worry, I won't. I know my role, and that's not uh, anything to do with it. MWA uh, Mindell with attitude. <laughs> uh, the trade deadline, as we've been talking about, and as it's getting closer and closer to being a reality, the Jets obviously made their initial big splash in Sean Monahan. And as you sort of broached the subject that with the Jets scoring doldrums uh, continuing, and it's been a factor for the last little while, should the Jets be looking more to 
further shore up the offensive side of their game. Maybe they should be in the market for a winger, uh, top nine winger, uh, to really supplement some of their players. And I agree with you. I think that the Jets should be in the market for a winger. I think I mentioned this a few weeks back on the show that I think that there is opportunity for the Jets to further reinforce their offensive bona fides. Not obviously would have to be somebody who fits into their defensive first structure. But as you mentioned, a number of the names, a number of the wingers that are sort of at the forefront, Jake Gensel, who the Jets have seen twice in the last little while, of course, now out of the lineup going to be well, one of the guys Anthony... we've got the comment up there. Sorry, Drew. Yeah. Sean mentions Anthony Duclair, who of course sure. the Jets just played on the Sharks, but yeah, continue because Jake Gensel is in- intriguing. He's out. We should mention for four weeks, he's on long-term right. injured reserve. Uh, he's got an upper body injury, but it was reported by Elliot Friedman that the Penguins would still move him, even though he's currently injured. He's in the last year of his contract. He's a pending UFA. Anthony Duclair, who's on a go-nowhere San Jose Sharks team, but had some great success or a pretty decent success last year with the Florida Panthers and their playoff run where they made it all the way to the Stanley Cup final. So there's some intriguing names out there who are, you know, and I do think the Jets are probably, you know, kicking that around a little bit, as I, I agree 100%. And um, I think Duclair was one guy, like, there's other guys, right? Like Tarasenko we talked about. Did you mention Frank Vitrano, Drew? I haven't, but Frank, Frank Vitrano yeah. is another Frank guy Frank was Anaheim. one guy, yeah. And, and obviously, guys, like, this is based on the athletic trade bait board. This is based yeah. on the daily face-off trade bait board, TSN's trade bait board. Like, these names are not, I'm not just, you know, pulling them out of thin air, even though I would love to. I mean, these are guys in the last year of their contracts, Um that, that I think are intriguing, right? Like Vetrano's 29 years old and he his cap hit is lower than uh, both Tarasenko and Jake Gensel. Uh, Tarasenko's at 5 million and then Gensel's at 6 million, right? So I think the, 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 the cost to acquire a guy like Frank Vetrano or Anthony Duclair uh, would be much less than a Jake Gensel. Like, let's be honest here, guys. Crosby, Gensel, Malkin, like Latang, these guys are all close. Like Gensel's won the Stanley Cups with Pittsburgh, we have no idea where the contract is at with with Gensel, right? And the injury, I think, throws in a wrinkle there. So when you're looking at these guys, like Tarasenko, to me, I don't know what you would have to give up to acquire him from Ottawa. But when you look at Ottawa's core, right, with Brady Kachuk and and Josh Norris um, and Jake Sanderson, Thomas sure. Chabot, like I don't know Tim, Tarasenko. Tim Stutzel, Stutzla. Yeah, Tim Stutzla, sorry for forgetting him. Um, I don't think that, you know, a guy like Tarasenko really factors in. So that would be a pure rental, right? If you're mm-hmm. a guy like Tarasenko, but he's a right winger, he's a goal scorer, right? Like, and I think mm-hmm. 12 or 13 goals this year, like 14 maybe. Like, Tarasenko to me could fit into your top six. Now, who does that push out? Well, it probably pushes out a guy like Gabe Velarde, maybe. I'm not sure if you're uh-huh. pushing out Connor or Ehlers out of your top four. Maybe it pushes out Cole Perfetti. Mm-hmm. All I'm saying is, like, we talked about it. The Jets have been struggling to score goals for over a month now. This is going back 11, 12, 13 games. And yes, the Jets could explode for goals, you know, starting tonight against Vancouver, Dave. But, you know, I, I think that there's an argument to be made, you know, if the Jets are all in, which we believe they are, why would why else would you require Sean Monaghan if you're not trying to go on a long cup run, right, Dave? So yeah. I think, you know, whether it's Tarasenko whether it's Gensel, whether it's a guy like Anthony Duclair. Like, you could probably get Anthony Duclair for, I don't know, a third-round pick. And he's a guy that a couple years ago with Florida had 30 goals, guys. 
So mm-hmm. Duclair, people say, oh, Duclair's not very good. Well, his numbers aren't very good on, on San Jose because San Jose is not a very good team. I think right. if you put Anthony Duclair on the wing with Sean Monaghan or, I mean, even if Anthony Duclair's on your fourth line, I'm just saying, like, I think the, the Jets, you can make the argument they need uh, a goal-scoring infusion. Dave? No, I mean, no, no. Look, there's what do we? What am I supposed to say? Like, there's no question about it. If you look at this Jets club, they're just not doing it. And when you say, when you look at the patterns, and you say, okay, well, this has been a a game or two, relax. This isn't a game or two, and and again, this isn't a Jets team. Like, you can say, oh, well, they play a defensive style and it's tiring. It's well, again, guys, when they had no Kyle Connor from December 10th till sometime in January, whenever it was, right? The fact of the matter is this team scored goals, right? They went 12-2-2. They were still scoring. Right. And we're hearing about this change in, I I mean, look, like I said, I haven't looked at all the um, scores lately from the NHL, but the fact of the matter is that the Jets are, as we know, one of the stingiest teams in the NHL in terms of giving up goals. That comes with a cost, so we understand that. And, And again, like I said, I do. I think that playoff games are more likely to be two one than I think that they are to be five one. Yes, of course they are. So, so being able to play that style is important. But again, you have factors that work against you right now. Your special teams are not good, right? You're twenty fourth and twenty sixth in terms of penalty kill and power play. I mean, these are not good numbers. As we said, you need to get to. We didn't expect like I like I said. I think on the last show, fifty one games in, this team is what they are. Like they've 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 had 51 games of this. Their special teams haven't been good. They obviously got better for a stretch, but because they had such an abysmal start to the season, they knew we knew they weren't going to get to the top 10. But you want to get to some sort of measure of respectability, 18 to 21, something yeah. in that range. The Jets haven't been able to do that. And so again, your special teams aren't working. PK's gotten better. Frank Vetrano has nine power play goals. So I'm I, I, like, that's why I mainly included him on this list. He's well, got 23 so goals this year. Like, and Vetrano has one year left on his contract, Drew. So I just wanted to throw that in there that all the other guys, like Duclair, Tarasenko, Gensel, right. are in the last year of their contracts. Vetrano has one year left mm-hmm. at uh, 3.5 million. So, you know, with, with everything that Dave just said, about special teams and things of that nature, should the Jets maybe be looking for an offensive upgrade on the back end rather than a, than a, than a winger upgrade? I mean, the pressure. Look, yeah, the only point. offensively and incl- you know, really, I mean, Neil Pionk has flashes of offensive talent, but they're so few and far between. It's really mm-hmm. Josh Morrissey shouldering a lot of that load on the back end when it comes to offense from defense. So, should the Jets, to your point when you asked Ted about it. Uh, last segment, as he should the Jets be looking for a offensive upgrade on the back end? I don't know that they need a you know the quote unquote shutdown defender. Hmm. Because an offensive seems- upgrade on the back end. Who's an offensive upgrade well, on the back say, end? You're going to say Dylan Hainala is what you're going to say. <laughs> well, right, Dave? I mean that that is his mo. I mean he's right. a he's an offensively talented guy who can make a great first pass. And you do wonder about the passing from the defense and and how it's stalling the creation of offense. So I mean. It, look, if that's the reality, Drew, I don't think you need to go out and look for it and acquire it and spend an asset when you have that. Now, again, the one thing I want to make clear, and I, I was always on board with this because I never thought it was going to be, I said this, I wrote about this, I said this, Villanueva has played 12 games. Everybody else is 40 to 50 NHL games. Villanueva has played 12 AHL games. There's still flaws in his game. Rick Bonus talked about it. 
Mark Morrison obviously told Rick Bonus about it. The fact of the matter is there are still like people see that I clip a highlight and it's like, oh, well, look, he's look what he's doing in the HL. But there's so many other aspects of his game. And I'm not tearing apart Bill Hainola. There's lots of guys who make mistakes, but you want them making those mistakes in the AHL. So again, I didn't anticipate that Hainola would be an option for this Jets club for at least like another month or so. Maybe now it's a little less than that. But the fact of the matter is he is a player who can bring that offensive ability. That is his game. He just needs time to develop it, continue to develop the way he looked in the preseason, right? We all thought he looked fantastic in the preseason. Obviously the coaching staff did too, guys. I, I mean, you could say Rick Bonus was blowing smoke just to create uh, like a like an illusion. Mm-hmm. But he said that that Billy Hinola made this team out of out of training camp. Well, that meant that Billy Hinola was your sixth defenseman, really, and he was going to be in the Nate Schmidt spot. Now he got injured again in that uh, September 29th game against the Senators, and of course has to have ankle surgery. So you know his season is done for that for the next few months. And so he's just getting back to, to, to that full strength. And, and again, like I said, 12 games. He's going to play a bunch here with the Moose. I, I don't anticipate you'll see him unless there's an injury before that. Well, I find it really interesting, Ezzy, that you sort of uh, – not that there's a disconnect because I don't want to say that, that that's probably too strong of a word. But I, I go back to last Saturday's show where JP VJ talked about how, you know, in JP's mind and in JP's experience, having missed all that time that Billy did with the injury, it might be too big of a mountain to climb to get back to the NHL level the, this year to the same level that he was playing at, say, pre-injury during training camp. And then you listen to what Rick Bonus said this week, where, you know, that Billy's skating, is he's not at where he was during training camp. And then you hear what Kevin Dayoff says on that Neil Smith podcast uh, that Dave has uh, posted on IllegalCurve.com, if you missed it. And it's, it's almost like, you know, JP Vijay, who's not with the team, but a former player, is saying this, and Rick Bonus is sort of more on that side and echoing sort of those comments. And then you have what Kevin Sheveldayoff saying about, you know, still sort of talking up Billy as the, as a possibility. And, you know, you wonder if there's, sure. uh, if everybody's sort of on the, on the same page yeah. when it comes to Billy and the rest of his season. Yeah. I think actions speak louder than words. And what I mean by actions is Brendan Dillon was suspended for three games and that was the opportunity if you wanted to, to call up Vili Hainola. What they did was they played Logan Stanley and didn't have an extra defenseman. So again, I'm with Dave. I am very high, not on uh, anything else, high on Vili Hainola here. I do think <laughs> that he has a great NHL career ahead of him. Like, I think he can, his upside is a top four defenseman who could probably put up, you know, 35 to 45 points. I don't necessarily think he's going to be in the, you know, the Quinn Hughes, Kale McCarr, uh, type of, uh, you know, I don't think he's right. going to be a 70 point defenseman at the NHL level, Dave, right. by the way, 35 to 45 points is really good for a defenseman. Um, Nowadays it is, you know, yeah. that puts you in the top 50 in, in NHL defenseman in terms of points. But, you know, the, the guy drew the only guy to me that's, that's name is out there that would have that impact offensively is Jacob Chikrin. And he's got a modified no trade clause. He's got one year left on his contract, but if you're the Ottawa senators and you're tr- trading Jacob Chikrin, and I think they gave up, what a first round pick, second round pick, something else. You got to yeah. think that the senators are probably asking for Vili Hainola, or at the very least, they're going to be asking for a prospect in return. Like Jacob, you're not going to get Jacob Chikrin for a second round draft pick. You're going to have to give up quite a bit for Jacob Chikrin. But aside from that, Drew, like the names that are out there, like Chris Tanev, uh, you know, Noah Hannafin. I mean, like I, Hannafin to me, I don't think really is a match for the Jets. Hannafin's a good defenseman. And just because I said that, they're probably going to acquire him. 
Um, <laughs> but when you're talking about guys like, you know, Ilya Labushkin uh, on Anaheim, or, you know, we talked about Sean Walker, like these guys don't really move the needle offensively. They're, they're decent defensemen, but I think that's probably the guy you're referring to, right? When you're talking about should the Jets be maybe be targeting more of an offensive defense when Chikrin's got like eight goals and 29 points, something like that. Whereas Tanev, I mean, Tanev is a shutdown right side defenseman. So it's going to be interesting to see, like, are the Jets going to concentrate more on defense or are they going to concentrate more on offense? And that's why I've said, I think you need to do both. Well, from the back end, if you're looking at what they need from the back end, from the, from the defense, I think you need more offense from the defense right now. That's where you need to be, you know, finding that that's where there's opportunity. I would say, you know, right now, the defensive structure of this team, and yeah. the, you know, you know, in the five man unit, and and you know, on the back end, and everything else, is 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 pretty solid. That I think you can go forward with that come playoff time. But you know, think about. I mean, anytime Josh Morrissey, you know, has a little bit of a dip in his game, as you're always going to have over the course of an 82 game season. There's nobody on the back end right now who's really able to pick that up. And with all due respect to Vili Hainla you know, asking him to be that guy come playoff time or come, mm-hmm. you know, the last 10 or 15 games of the season after you've missed so much time is a pretty big task for a guy who's never been an NHL regular. So, I mean, I, I just don't know that that's a reasonable request, Dave, of, of a young yeah. player at this stage of his career, especially given the time he's missed this year. No, and, and Drew, I, I'm not I'm not here to argue with you. I, I think the reality is, look, the Jets organization has to, and even if, if it doesn't happen this year, they'll have no choice but to make it happen next year because he's no right. longer waiver exempt. The team will take him. A team will do what the Minnesota Wild are going to do with Declan Chisholm and give him an opportunity. So that's fine. That's And again, that's a function of his waiver status. We knew that. I said this in the summer. I said, I know folks want to see Billy, but the reality is that you know he because he's waiver exempt for this year, he's most likely. Now, he played really well in the preseason. Right. But the fact of the matter is that you can't ignore the fa- the reality, which is his villainess, as I was referencing it the other day, is not there right now. It's not. It's not there to the degree that it we were we saw it in the preseason, that we saw it last year. So again, it's I know that everybody wants to just put him in. And you know, KG3, who was in Winnipeg, I think, for that Penguins game, hopefully wearing his IC toque, which one we don't know because he's got like so many. But but the fact is. He's right. Like you're not putting Billy Hainola. First of all, and Doug's right. Also, you couldn't actually do it without putting someone on waivers because of the roster. Cause even though Brendan Dillon was suspended, he was still considered a rostered player. So they mm-hmm. couldn't even do it anyways. But the fact of the matter is that Brendan Dillon, Logan Stanley made more sense for Brendan Dillon because that's what Rick bonus would do. He'd replace size with size. And, right. and again, that's not, that's not a shock. And the other thing is, and again, it's kind of the, the, the point of my kind of ramble here. It's opportunity, right? Dylan Sandberg, got an opportunity and he ran with it. He didn't say, okay, I got one or two games here. And then if I don't play well, I'm out. Cause it's very hard for those guys. Kovacevic in Montreal, same thing, right? Like he got that one game with Winnipeg gets claimed by Montreal. Then he's played. I think he's already played over hundred games now for the, for the Habs. So the fact of the matter is you, these guys get this runway and suddenly then they feel relaxed and they can play their game. There's not that stress. Now, I, again, so my point I'm making is that if you want to call Villanueva up next month, and if you want to give him some sort of opportunity, and that's usually created because someone gets injured, and you want to give him a little bit of runway to see what he can do, not one or two games. It has to be a five to 10 game block. And then you can see what you've got. If you don't, then you're never going to know. You just won't. You just can't. 
So you have to. But, a team has but to at be the same time, that. you can't call him up to sh- to demonstrate that until he's ready. Until he's at yeah, that point, which is why I said it won't be it won't, it won't be till next month because then at least he'll have twenty AHL games under his belt. Right, he'll be much more closely aligned to what he maybe was like in the preseason, and then you've got a a, a guy who's playing much more, you know, to his to his level. And again, like I said, that's why I wasn't surprised when everyone's like clamoring. I'm like, guys, he's played 12 games. He's still making mistakes. You know, like, did you see in the game against Grand Rapids where he made a mistake at the blue line, ends up as a goal against, which is the ultimate. Again, not a big deal in the AHL. You know what Mark Morrison does? Throws him back out there, plays him in the next shift. Yeah. But but the fact of the matter is in the NHL, especially with young players, we know that the, the leash is short. So when these guys make mistakes, it's a lot more costly. It's a lot more focused. So I'm just saying that you want to put him. You want to put him in a in a place for success. That's the whole idea. To the to the to the subject matter of this segment, though, I think that at least from my perspective, yes, the Jets' acquisition of Sean Monahan is a good is a, is a good move. You shore up the offense and everything else, but I think there still needs to be more to come for this Winnipeg Jets team come the trade deadline. I see that uh, Chuck Hellebuck is ready to join us backstage. So we're going to go to break. I'm going to bid everyone adieu. I might see you later on for the post-game show, but I'm going to turn it over to Dave and Ezzy to drive this bus for the remainder of the Saturday morning edition of the Illegal Curve Hockey Show. So thank you to everyone for uh, gracing me with your presence and everything else. Dave, Ezzy, and Chuck Hellebuck up next here on the Illegal Curve Hockey Show. Stay tuned, everyone. Don't go anywhere. I see rolls on. Welcome back to the Illegal Curve Hockey Show, which is now just myself and Ezzy Ginsberg. But it wasn't just going to be the two of us. We are going to be joined by the man, the myth, the legend, myself, Chuck Hellebuck. Ezzy Ginsberg. Is, it wasn't just going to be the two of us. We are. Oh, we got be some joined. reverb there, but uh, okay, hold on there. I'll mute Chuck's mic for a second while he gets his. He's got some reverb there. He's got our audio there, but okay, hold on. I'll unmute now, Chuck. I'm new Chuck's oh, no, still picking up. He gets his, he's got some reverb there. He's got our audio there, but well, that's uh, Chuck Hellebuck who's working on. Oh, hold on, let's see. There we go. There we okay. go. The international influencer himself. <laughs> now we're good. Now we're good. <laughs> Sorry about Chuck, that. Happens okay. all the time. All good, Chuck. I was that's watching good. on my phone, and then it popped up <laughs> on here, and I forgot I had it on my phone. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're happy to welcome you to your first appearance on the Illegal Curve Hockey Show. The international influencer let's start with that chuck the uh you got that title on the dad's trip i was in the arena for when they put you up on the screen and it got a lot of play on social media so what does it mean to set of let's start with that getting that recognition obviously you're a very successful youtuber with your channel so uh we could probably learn a few things from you in that regard but just you know getting that recognition and having fun with the jets fans and, and and that sort of thing yeah, that, that just was uh, it was a surprise to me. It was kind of a, uh, know, it's kind of a joke, I guess, from the media guys or whatever. But you know, the whole thing started. Um, you know, when you're telling us when you're doing YouTube videos or whatever, you're, you're telling a story. Really, that's that's all it's really doing, whether it's a technical story or whatever. Um, so when I this is my third dad trip, and so I was a little, you know, a lot more comfortable, and and I wanted to really tell the story behind the scenes of what a grind. You know, it is. I know they're paid well and everything, but it's such a grind that, you know, you're going from the bus to the plane, to a bus, to the hotel. You get in there at two o'clock and one o'clock in the morning and, you know, and then then you may take a bus to the rink and, you know, practice or whatever. And then 
um, then a bus to the game. And then after the game, you're bus to the <laughs> plane and tri- next one. And I'm like, you know, I, I got to show some behind the scenes here and, and show what's going on. So I just started posting. And plus, I wasn't putting out content on my channel. So I'm like, well, the people who follow me, you know, may wonder what the heck I'm doing. So I said, I'll just post it out there on Twitter. And uh, it took off. <laughs> it just literally took off. And uh, I guess it was telling a decent story because people were following it. And then I, you know, throw a little, you know, comedy in there. I tried to anyway, if, you know, nobody, <laughs> no dad's eating the salads, you know. And, uh, it, it was just fun because I watched it. They had a bullis, you know, nice salad. Kreb, Kreb, Kreb does a great job. He's, yeah, he's he's, he takes care of everything. And uh, I just watched that salad not get touched while everyone's eating the burgers and the ribs and everything else. <laughs> okay, well, I got to post that. So, absolutely love that. I mean, your your content is awesome. And obviously, I was going to say with the last name Hellebuck, everybody here in Manitoba. I mean, people are just going to love anybody with the last name Hellebuck, right? Because obviously, your son is such a, a not only a, a, an amazing goaltender but a, a great person. And wanted right. to ask you about Wednesday night. Uh, Connor got the shutout. It was only 17 saves, but I mean, he still had to make some big saves and a shutout is a shutout, right? And I saw you tweet that, uh, you know, you can say the word now uh, because obviously there's the uh, jinx factor, but I wanted to ask you like, like on a, on a kind of game by game basis, not when you're on the road with the team, but when you're just watching uh, at home back in Michigan, like, do you text Connor usually after a, a win or a big shutout or how does that work? Do you wait until the next day? Like, how does that work with, Kind of how you you talk to Connor, like, do you give him a little bit of space, or do you text him right after the game's over and say, "Nice shutout, son." It, it depends. First of all, it was 16 saves because Shifley got the 17th. So, uh, <laughs> oh yeah, that, that's right. So I did text him about that. He's, um, but no, it's I when he first started out, I would text him just you know kind of give encouragement and uh, just give some you know dad feedback. But it, it pretty quickly. Um, you know, I knew shut up, you know, <laughs> let him, let him do his thing. And then, uh, uh, you know, now, now it's kind of, I text it when I feel I need to, or want to, or just I'll text him, you know, how the kid's doing or, uh, just non-hockey stuff, you know, just, uh, uh, cause he gets enough hockey stuff as it is. And then, you know, I want to know what's going on with the family, you know? So, um, so it's a mixed bag now. Um, he don't, I mean, he didn't need my help at all initially. He's not learning anything from me, but uh, I'm just there as a dad to say, hey, keep going, kid, and chase the dream, and I get a front row seat. You know, Chuck, that's, and I've heard, I've watched your interviews when you did it with Huss, and I saw, you know, some of the other conversations you've had. So we know that, you know, the background, but maybe you could share with our audience the, the idea of the Hellebuck family and how um, impactful hockey was to you uh, growing up. And, and in Michigan, obviously, there's a there's a huge hockey community. So what was that like for you? Um, we we weren't that much of a hockey family. Um, that's why he, he had such an unorthodox way to get there because we didn't know. We didn't know the path, you know. Uh I raced stock cars, you know, when I was his age, um, just amateur stuff and uh, go-karting. My, my wife's dad raced motorcycles and stuff. So our plan was I was going to take the kids go-karting and we were going to race go-karts. You know, that was the plan. And then his brother, um, who was a really good hockey player, just didn't quite get the break. So he was a natural on skates. So, at, you know, two, he's skating around in my uh, rollerblades that come up to his knees. So he's, he's just skating around the basement and, um, Connor just instantly went to net. So they would just, you know, 
shoot and do one-on-ones all the time. But it, it really started my brother, my older brother, six years older, his his son, which uh, I don't know, so he was 11 years old, and they had a birthday party. They had a street hockey. He eventually played some hockey, ice hockey himself. But that's how it started. We'd have this annual street hockey game um, on his birthday. And then the boys just watched and wanted to be part of it. And they started in roller and then eventually went to ice. But that's really what sparked it. Um, my brother was a Red Wing season ticket holder. And uh, um, we all kind of followed. We all watched hockey, but it was, you know, wasn't part of it. I played basketball, you know, it's, I, I, I could barely, I had to learn to skates to help coach them. So that's how bad I was. Well, it sounds like the the Hellebuck family is a multi-sport family, right? Like it sounds like everybody uh, in your own family had their own specialties, right? And, yeah. I, and I wanted to ask you about, Connor obviously has a, a lot of confidence and that's something that's been, I, I don't think you can be the best goaltender on the planet. And I am saying it, Chuck, he is the best goaltender on the planet. I'm not saying he's one top three. Uh, I'm going to throw out Vesna Buck right now. <laughs> but I mean, where do you think that confidence come from, comes from? Is that something that, you know, Connor always had at an early age? Because like you said, it was a bit of an unorthodox um, route. Like it was clear that when the Jets drafted him, even though he was a fifth round pick, it was clear that Connor was going to get to the NHL. He His numbers at UMass Lowell were phenomenal. And then he was good in the American Hockey League. But going back to that confidence, because that seems like that's always been a real strength of Connor's. Yeah, I, I think it just comes from playing. You know, um, and and then just uh, the, the, our family in general. You don't want to play Monopoly with us. You don't want to play Risk with us. We're <laughs> we're not good losers. Um, we're competitive as can be, and uh, it's it's horrible. I, we can't. We did a family uh, uh, fantasy football, and we had to quit because it was it was getting too nasty and so so from a competitive point of view yeah and sports wise my wife was an athlete i was an athlete uh you know it goes it just in all different sports right so it's so it's there in the genes i guess but um when they were younger i i brought home the the movie the the secret uh, mm-hmm. based on the book the secret and, and it's really just you know the power of positive thinking and and really what I, the whole idea behind it was I've always believed do what you can do the best you can and achieve what you want. You know, it's, it's not going to be easy. It's, it's, you're going to have to work for it, but if you really want it, you can get it. And life's just going to throw a bunch of crap in your way, you know, but um, you got to want it. And that was kind of the message. Well, he took it to heart. Like I couldn't even believe his, his brother did too. His brother started a internet business in the basement. He was a junior in high school and he still runs that business. It's, you know, it supports him and his family. And um, now he's chasing the dream, become a professional bass fisherman. So, um, so, so it runs in there, but Connor from early on, just, he, he I gave him a, a cork board. It says put in the center of that cork board, your idea, just, you know, focus on it. And it was goalie, you know, and the, the scariest moment, I think in some respects from a parent is he was, uh, he was head, entering high school uh, I told him, I said, you know, cause he would skate out during the spring and, and, and that's, I wanted to see the other side of the puck and have fun. But uh, I said, you know, kind of decide. And he goes, well, I want to be a goalie. And, uh, but I told him both, I said, have a backup plan. And Chris's was the business. Well, Chris Connor told me to my face is dad. I don't have a backup plan. I go, that's, it's okay. It takes time. He goes, no, no, no. You understand. I don't want a backup plan because it's going to distract me. I'm, I'm going to go, I'm going to make the NHL. I don't care how long it takes or what it's going to take. I'm just going to do it. And that's when I seen the determination. That's when I was like, whoa. And I said, okay, kidding. 
do it. Yeah, do it. That's and all. That's, he took it. And you know, is that was that now? What age was that when he told you that? Uh, let's see, he's uh, freshman in high school, probably about fourteen years old. So wow. you, as a parent, though, so you hear your son say that, and and you know, parents obviously want what's best for their children, and they want them to follow the path that's true to their heart. So. But how daunting was that for you and your wife to be able to be like, okay, this is the path. And, you know, again, he went to Texas, after, you know, that how unconventional is it? And again, just from a, a knowledge standpoint, how daunting was that to be like, we don't know what's next, but you had to figure it out. Yeah. I mean, as I said, life will throw obstacles. It's just how you deal with them. And it's, it's, you know, your anxiety's getting away and I understand all that. <laughs> you know, I've dealt with all that too, but yeah, I think his mother was definitely more worried about it you know what does this mean and and uh, i didn't know what it meant it's like you know he's freshman in high school right uh mm -hmm. there was no thought of him going to nhl i mean that was not like I, my idea was if you can make it to a college get a partial scholarship and help pay for college hey that's a success mm -hmm. and so so that was my thinking and i'm like okay go for it you know f see what happens and uh you know it's just my purpose what's the fallback plan but when he um uh, when he graduated high school, uh, I mean, there was, there was one, there was a high school coach who was a USHL scout. Everyone knew him in you know, that level, but the AAA and uh, the scouts didn't know who he was, but everyone at the lower level knew is, Hey, yeah, he's, he's, he's stoned a ton, bunch of teams. So they knew his stats. They knew who he was. Well, this guy set up a tryout out in, uh, uh, where was it? Um, uh, Iowa, I think it was Iowa. Yeah, so the USHL team. And so we fly out there and find out, you know, like the goalie coach wasn't even there. Mm -hmm. And uh, and, and he, he was so, he felt so disrespected, you know. And so they put him in a practice. And I'm just watching this. I'm like, as a high school kid against USHL players, and they do a one-on-one -on -one at the end, and he's just stoning these guys. He, he just no one's going to score on him. He just I could see I could see in his body language because I'm sitting up in the stands, but I could see in the body language that you guys don't know what the hell's happening right now. He, <laughs> you are not going to score on this kid because he's in the, he's in the zone, mm -hmm. and and he did, you know. And it was a competition between him and the backup. Whoever you know won get to go to the locker room. The other one had to clean up the pucks, and he says, "I'm not cleaning up their damn pucks." So, <laughs> um, so yeah, he went in the locker room got his stuff, talked to the coach briefly and said, let's go, you know, and, and then the coach come out and kind of passed by and gave us a passing, you know, whatever. And I, I, it was, it was disrespectful. And, but I think that planted a seed for him that from there, he says, any opportunity, he's going to make the most of it. Any opportunity to, to, to go to another team and try out, he's going to make the most of it. And that's what, so it was probably the best thing that could happen, you know, they, and, uh, he went to Youngstown. He got a tryout at Youngstown and uh, he, he, USHL. And mm -hmm. he, he called, he drove down there in our car. He called me up, he says, Dad, I, you know, I guess I'm coming home. And then he, he called me back like five minutes later. He says, Dad, they want me to stay another day. And I go, Holy cow, okay. <laughs> got him a hotel room, a whole bit. He went back and, and played their last day of their camp. And then they had to tell him, they said, Look, at, we, we didn't know who you were. And you just phenomenal, but we've already picked our three goalies. Otherwise you'd be here. Um, so we're going to keep an eye on you. And that I think planted the seed that he can do it. He knew he came back from that going, I know what I need to do. And that's when he got to try out with uh, Odessa. And he went there in the first day, just dominated. And Joe Clark pulled him off the ice early and said, we should have drafted you because he had that chip on his shoulder too. He wasn't drafted. Mm -hmm. And, uh, 
and they pulled he pulled them off said you made the team just go and he went and got his fishing pole and went fishing and <laughs> that was in, <laughs> in minnesota and then uh but then yeah then we had to send him to uh texas with a host family which we never did we never did the traveling so we didn't know he was 17 you know and i said well there you go kid just make it work call me if you need anything and we'll go from there and it was a learning experience but worked out great he had a great host family and he went down there and tore it up that's such an awesome story and i know that you know people watching live or on the replay podcast people are going to love hearing that because it shows you like you said right it's it's that to me what stands out about that is like you said life is going to throw you a lot of different things and it's about perseverance right connor didn't let the fact that he wasn't drafted he said i'm going to show you and boy, did he ever show them, because not only did he go on to a great college career, he's, uh, like I said, I'm confident in saying that he's the best goaltender on the planet right now. Nice. And I wanted to ask you, uh, Chuck, about the the eight-year contract, because obviously, you know, I, I, I'm sure that you don't follow it as much as, you know, us and the media and the fans do. But, you know, there was a lot of speculation about Connor and, and Shifley. Were they going to be traded? You know, were, was this going to be the last year of their contracts? And then in early October... I think it was early October. Um, your son and and Shifley signed the big eight year contracts and seven years, right? It was, it was, was it this year. Play it was it's it's oh seven sorry, years. you're right. Yeah. Yes, yeah. sorry, Chuck. I added a year there. I apologize. <laughs> it's it, it. You're right. It was seven year contracts, including this year. He's under contract right. for eight eight more years. But and again, you know, you can't speak for Connor, but I mean that must have been diff- a little bit difficult for him, right? Because you know there were people speculating and saying this or that but i think connor was very you know forthright when he said i want to be here and i want to win a stanley cup he didn't just say i want to be here he made it clear that you know he wanted to win a stanley cup with the jets yeah i mean it i i wasn't privy to everything to some of it and some of it you know i'll never share but um yeah there's you know that's that's a tough decision for anybody i know him and shifley talked i talked to brad his dad and um but the bottom line is he wants a cup. I mean, I just yep. it, he's said it numerous times. It's just there's there's he's playing to win. And that's that's the hell of a trade. You know, it's like losing sucks and uh and it's unacceptable. So you play you play to win, you do what you ever gotta do. So um yeah, I, I don't know all the you know the business details of everything who was interested and what the talks were or whatever. But Winnipeg was always part of the discussion. It was never not part of that discussion. And um, when he told me, he's, you know, I, I told him, it's just do what's best for you and your family. And, you know, would I have loved to him be closer? Sure. You know, I'd love to be in the U S sure. That's personal reason, but that's got nothing to do with him. Um, so, so that's what I told him, do what's best for you and your family. And he, you know, he figured it all out and he saw the potential and he believes it can be done and otherwise he wouldn't be there. And now he's ready to win a cup. So that's, it's as simple as that. You know, it's, if they didn't have the pieces that he thought could win it, then maybe it would have been different, but um, it's, it's just a matter. It's, it's never easy. It's, it's, you got to have faith and you got to believe, but like, like he says, it's you got to believe that you're winning. You got to think like you're winning, even when you're losing. Because if you start thinking about losing, then you start doing things like a loser. He says, you got to think like a winner and the winning will come. And when you're winning, you keep thinking like that. He's just like, it's it's what permeates your thinking. It's what you do. It's what drives you. It's what makes 
things happen. That's probably the conf comes across as confidence, but it's really, it's more of a belief system, right? That I want to win and today we're going to win. And this is what I got to do to win. And we won. So let's go in the next one. You know, it's just, it's really, really simple. Can come across as cocky, overconfident, whatever, but that's really his thought process. That's well, it. and it's interesting. It's interesting you should say that, Chuck, because I remember in games where he would give up, let's say, four goals, five goals, and he'd like, "Well, I like my game. I like the details. I like this." <laughs> and sometimes people would be like, "Really? Like, you know, this is." But you'd hear that, and I mean, again, I and then Connor him. would get a shutout the next game. No, but then, <laughs> and, I, and I knew him because I covered him in the AHL, so I knew obviously what he was like with the Moose, and I didn't, I wasn't in St. John, so I didn't cover him in the Ice Caps. But my point is, you understood that. But it's funny because you're right. It's it's unusual. It's an unusual style. Of, of thinking and but you can see it's elevated him to the what he's become because of it yeah and and, and like i i remember that one in new york where um we gave up five goals toward the beginning of the season mm-hmm. gave up five goals and he comes off the ice and says tells him i'm gonna win a vesna this year <laughs> yeah <laughs> and people looking at him but i i watched that game and and i watched it and i went he was in position he got a few you know, deflections or bad bounces. And, you know, it's all, you'll say it's all excuses, but you watch goaltending enough and I'm by no means an expert, but, but I've watched enough and I'm going, kid, I wouldn't change a damn thing. You you were, you were where you're supposed to be a few little whatever's and, and, you know, you're stopping a bunch of those. And then I read, you know, it's like, Oh, you know, it's got a goalie situation, a Winnipeg. <laughs> and I'm like, I just laugh. I just laugh. You know, it's like, yeah, right. And I think, like you said, he came back with a shutout or one goal game, or whatever. And, you know, it was never a question again. And nothing against, I think Brossois was a goalie. Then nothing against LB. He's, I love LB. He's a great goalie. Mm-hmm. Great goalie. He could be a starter anywhere as far as I'm concerned. So to have both guys as part of the tandem, I, I think it's, it's a winning combination. But uh, yeah, that's, he, he knows his game, you know, mm-hmm. and a lot of people don't understand goaltending. Um, I, I certainly will not claim to understand it, but I know more than I think a little more than average. But uh, yeah, no, he, he, only goalies understand goalies, and uh, it's just he knows, he knows, trust him, and he'll figure it out. Yeah, he could write a few textbooks at this point uh, on, <laughs> on goaltending. Uh, Chuck, I wanted to ask you, and I don't mean to put you on the spot here, but um, it was announced recently that there's going to be the uh, Four Nations tournament in, in 2025. And then the NHL has announced that they will go to the uh, Winter Olympics in Italy. And yeah, and obviously, I mean, Connor Hellebuck is, I mean, there's going to be a, a couple of excellent American goaltenders facing off tonight because I believe Thatcher Demko is going to play against Connor Hellebuck unless, you know, that that changes. But I mean, Demko is in the conversation as well. Uh, I think Jake Ottinger on Dallas. But just wanted to ask you, is that something that, that Connor's mentioned to you? Have you guys talked about that at all? Like, because... It's been a while since, like, it's been what since 2016 uh, that we've had uh, best on best at the at the World Cup level or the Olympic level. Uh, is that something Connor has talked to you about at all? Uh, briefly, I mean, we talked about. I I told him I said, if, you know, if you get picked to go to Italy, I'm going. Chuck and I come too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I told my wife, I said, you, she don't like to fly, you know, it's a long flight. I says, you don't have to go. She's not as big a hockey fan, but she's always there, always supporting. But, um, but as I'm going, <laughs> if my son's, I don't care if it's a backup, I'm probably, he's in the Olympics, I'm going, you know, so it's, uh, but yeah, we've talked briefly about it uh, from the past, but it's, um, 
you know, I think in his case, it's like, you know, a a nice experience, feather in the cap, the whole bit, but it still comes back to that same statement. Wants a cup. (laughs) And uh, if he win a gold medal, sure. I mean, he he won uh, with a bronze in in the World Cup several years ago um, and, you know, had a heck of a game. So that was, you know, that was exciting to watch. And unfortunately I couldn't be at that one. So that's why I said, I don't care what's going to happen. I'm, I'm going to Italy if, if he gets, if he's called. So, so as far as us talking about it, yeah, it's, you know, it gets talked about, but nothing, sure. It, nothing made. It's, it's kind of in the future right now. The focus is play the best he can keep his game going, keep the team going. Let's win. Let's win this. Let's make it to the playoffs. Let's get to the playoffs and hopefully let's take it right to the cup. That's well, the talk. I suspect that the thousands of folks who are going to listen to this are going to be very happy to hear that kind of talk because that's their focus as well, Chuck. And this is Chuck Hellebuck. He's joining us here on the Illegal Curve Hockey Show on this Saturday morning where we start every Saturday talking about the Jets, sometimes about the Moose uh, at 9 o'clock in the morning. Chuck, I wanted to take you back in time because you know we used to go to the drafts every year, actually 2012, Year yeah, we didn't drafted. go that year. That was, was Pittsburgh, only, right, Gabe? That was, it was Pittsburgh, <laughs> yeah. and it was actually the only year we didn't go yeah. to the draft. We weren't there either. <laughs> and So that was what I was going to ask you. Did you? Did, yeah. did, I couldn't remember. Did Connor go, and did you, was there any discussion about that? How how did that set up, and what, did it, what was it like when he did get picked? So obviously he didn't go. You guys were probably back in Michigan. But what was it like when he got selected, and what was that process like for your family? Yeah, we, like I told you, we didn't understand it. So we didn't know what happened. I mean, he was – he, he, he didn't, it was his last year that he was eligible. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, um, we knew there was interest, you know, he had gone to a world cup trial. He had just, he had, uh, ruptured a spleen, his spleen playing roller hockey just not long before that world cup tour tryout. And he was, he had recovered. It was scary, scary times. And, uh, uh, he, he got himself back in shape to make that tryout. And, um, it was it was kind of pushing a little bit, but he was dead. He was he was nothing's going to stop him, and that's when uh, I knew there was a Winnipeg scout there really probing me because I was watching and he's asking me questions. So I, that was my only inkling. Connor knew you know there was a lot of interest, but basically he he was coaching goalies um, in the in the off season, and uh, he was in between training sessions when he got the call. Uh, I was helping my other son, Chris, work on his his car. We were you know up to our elbows in grease, you know, and, <laughs> and and fixing stuff. And all of a sudden, all our phones just blew up. You know, we weren't even really watching you know, because we were like, you know, we we didn't know. We really didn't know. You know, it's so our phones blew up, and then we went back and watched stuff. He's had his interview right there at, at the rink, and. Uh, then we all went to dinner that night and we were what what just happened? <laughs> you know, we were all just in this pleasant shock. We went over to his grandparents and and uh, we went out to a restaurant, you know, steakhouse and said, <laughs> what happened? We don't even know what happened. And and just just kind of sat in the glow of the excitement of it all and go, okay, what happens next? You know, yeah. we had no idea. We had no idea. So it was very unorthodox in, in our approach and probably, you know, maybe should have done a little more homework and maybe been there, but um, there was no indication that mm-hmm. that would happen, you know, and it's just, it's just another step in the unorthodox way he got to the NHL, I guess. 
And so what did you know about Winnipeg before he got drafted, if anything? And then were you kind of like, well, okay, now we got to figure out this Winnipeg thing. Yeah, well, I knew, you know, I knew about Winnipeg 1.0 um, and then and moving and then I knew that the team had come back, but it didn't really follow it that much. So I'm like, wait, where's Winnipeg? Isn't that north of, that's cold there, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and, and so, yeah, but they're like, okay, yeah. You, then I started, oh yeah, I know this team, you know, recognize players and that, but it's, you know, we're solid Red Wings fans and mm-hmm. um, the focus was always battling with, you know, Colorado and, and Chicago and the whole bit, uh, more, you know, East coast type stuff. So, so we didn't see Winnipeg that often, so we didn't know much about it. So, um, so yeah, when, when, uh, he got called to, he got called to fly up for training camp, we had to rush and get him a passport. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. So, so, um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it, it's, I've been there many times now. Of course, he lives there, and and uh, it's just it. The city has treated him, you know, the, him and his family so good, and treat us good when we're there. And uh, it's become kind of a you know second home. So uh, it's it's been an experience. It's been really good, and uh, nothing but good things to say about Winnipeg. Yeah, I think uh, you already know this, but your son is well. You're kind of a big deal as well in Manitoba. <laughs> Both of you guys. Not sure who's the bigger star now, but we just have a few more questions for you. And we want to ask you about 3D printing because that's actually something that fascinates me. I don't know a lot about it, but we want to ask you about how you got into that and, and Filament Friday and everything like that. But I, I also wanted to go back because I, I messaged you a couple of weeks ago. Uh, we wanted to get you on for the during the All-Star break, uh, but you, were, you mentioned to me that you were on uh, vacation. And I just wanted to... Know, just go back a couple weeks, and uh, I'm not sure how much you caught of the All-Star game, but, I mean, just how nice was that for you, though, to watch your son? Because, obviously, you know, like you mentioned, we talked about earlier, the regular season's a grind, right? And you, you want to get into the playoffs and go on, on a nice Stanley Cup run, but for Connor, that must have been such a nice break. I mean, I'm not sure, you know, he probably would have liked to go to Costa Rica or Mexico or something like that as well, <laughs> but uh, I'm sure for him it was an, an honor and just, you know, nice to be you know, around all the, you know, the pomp and the circumstance of, of the all-star break. Sure. Um, I mean, this was his fourth, I think his fourth all-star and I've been to the, I've been to the three previous. Um, we actually scheduled, um, we were in Disney. I, I got a big you know, two bedroom suite for us to enjoy that week off. And, uh, we had scheduled that way ahead of time. And his, his sister and her fiance were coming in like midweek, so, you know, it was time to hang with the grandchildren and go to Disney, you know, go to Magic Kingdom a whole bit, enjoy some sunshine. And, uh, and then, of course, he got the nod and then he had, he had to leave early. And he's like, well, Dad, you coming? And I go, I think I'm staying here in the sunshine. <laughs> <laughs> but it was because his sister was coming in, you know, and I couldn't just say you know, I, I had the room and everything. But it was like, um, no, it was it was. Uh, I think it was more fun for him in many ways because his son Hugh is, uh, uh, you know, he just a hockey nut. The kid just he's if he keeps going, he's going to be another hockey player because he just loves the sport. And so I think it was a lot of fun for him to take Hugh around behind the scenes, and uh, I, I saw a joy in him that I didn't see at the previous ones. I mean, always happy to be there, but it's just to take his son around and, and, and of course his wife and daughter, you know, to Andrew and, and, and Violet, it's just, it's just, 
it was a family thing and uh it was great my brother went in my place and andrew's dad was there his first time so i think it was a great experience for everybody involved and uh but yeah he's that was special because he took his son around all right well chuck i'm gonna ask you a hard-hitting question as he's gonna ask you about the 3d printing but i gotta ask you this one first of all it's a two-parter though number one Who got uh, Connor into fishing? Was that a thing from you? And <laughs> and the second part is you said your son, Chris, is a becoming a professional bass fisherman. And you spoke about how competitive your family is when you're playing Monopoly or Risk or anything like that. I can understand that sentiment for the record. So if that's the case, when Connor and Chris are fishing together in the summer, what is that like when those two are competing on the boat? Um, so your first question, as far as the fishing, their grandfather, my 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 father-in-law got him into fishing um when they were young they'd go fish grandpa would take them out fishing i drove the boat i like driving i like racing the cars and stuff i'm like i'll drive the boat <laughs> so i'm so i'm i would scan the lake you know looking for drop-offs whatever you guys want to go to that spot boom okay get you there um and then i'd help you know put the bait on the line when they were younger and a whole bit but no i i honestly i love the tournaments i've done a few tournaments with them i love it because it's a a window you, it's a challenge you know there's the challenge mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. got how many how many uh how big a fish to get five to keep and you know how big a fish can you catch i love that but as far as just going out fishing i find it boring as can be <laughs> and and they love it they just love it so but you said about um yeah chris is real they're real competitive he's trying to make it but it, when they're in the summer they really don't fish against each other rarely they often team up mm-hmm. uh be, there'll be a two-man tournament and they just they kill it i mean it's it's they show up at a tournament in most cases it's like oh crap the hellebuck brothers are here and <laughs> and they've you know they've won several tournaments um they have competed against each other and connor has actually admitted to me he says dad i almost can't keep up with chris anymore he's gotten so good um you know how to how to switch you know they got 14 different poles with different lures and you know they know what they're they're doing but yeah he's i almost can't compete with them anymore he's um so, so it's, if they, if they tend to compete together and then we'll go to the weigh-ins and it's just fun. It's just, it's fun to watch. They're usually in the top three and, and, uh, do pretty well. They do pretty well. So if they, if they, if they cross paths with big buff, because big buff, you see him around Lake of the woods and he's winning tournaments and everything like that. Um, they have they ever got together fishing or is buff oh, yeah. giving your son tips or anything oh yeah well, well buff got connor into ice fishing up there in Manitoba, uh-huh. Manitoba. Yeah. and um but yeah he still talks to him connor kind of keeps in touch with buff and I, awesome. I think they've organized some fishing time i think chris uh has come up there and gone fishing with him before awesome uh so yeah um yeah, I remember first time I met Buff, he, it was a first dad trip, and he comes racing in the morning, he comes sits down at the table, and he wanted to talk fishing. <laughs> and I'm like, sorry, it's his grandpa, not me. <laughs> I, I think I saw the biggest disappointment on Buff's face, you know, he went, oh, sh- crap, I don't want to talk to you. <laughs> we had, we had, he's a great guy, I had a great time talking to him, but uh, yeah, I lost a few points there because I, I wasn't big into fishing. <laughs> I love it. His, his Buff's love for fishing is, is absolutely legendary, right? Like, I yeah. think that's the only time you see Buff is when, you know, he's, he's caught a fish or something like that, or so that's uh, pretty awesome. And yeah, just final question, just wanted to ask you about uh, 3D printing because, uh, you know, it's not something you know, it's a, a relatively new thing, right? It's in the last, you know, 10, 10 years or so, 15 years or so, you would know better than I would. But I just wanted to ask you kind of how you got into that. And you've become not only an international influencer in the hockey world, but I know you've got a big fault. I think you have like 
I want to say 300,000 or something Almost, yeah. like it's huge. I mean, uh, can you also help us get there to 300,000? Cause <laughs> we're, we're, we're about to hit 6,000 Chuck and we've been around for 15 years uh, doing this hockey show, but, uh, yeah, just how did you, how did you get into it? And, uh, like, like where did the love for this come from? Cause it's obviously something that's only going to grow and grow and grow. Yeah. Well, actually it's been around for a long time. Um, probably about 40 years. It's the original stereo yeah, I didn't know that. machines, the big ones, you know? Yeah. So I worked at Ford and that's where we, I first saw it and I was like, Oh, this is really cool. But it's kind of like computers, you know, they're big, took up rooms and eventually we got home computers. Well now about 10 years ago, 10, 12 years ago, we got home 3d printers. And that's really the 10 years you're talking about where anyone could then do it. And, uh, I, my, my background is electronics. I've done a lot of electronics. My day job's electronics. Uh, I've written 10 books on electronics and, and the books were starting to die off. So I says, well, I'm going to do this YouTube stuff and do show people, you know, how to program and how to build electronics and, 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 you know, kind of share my hobby and, uh, like everyone kind of does on, on YouTube and the electronics was, it was difficult to teach, um, at least at that point. And everyone wanted to know about the 3d printer that I had because the 3d printer I have for printing the boxes or brackets or whatever. And I was constantly fixing it. Cause back then the, the printers just weren't that good. So I started showing people how I fixed it. And those, those videos just took off and I'm like, okay, you know, I'll just do 3d printing. It's fun. You know? And, and then it's just, I reached a point where it was about four years in the channel was kind of flat and there's a new printer that came out a real low cost printer that everyone's interested in. I had one and I started showing how to improve that thing. And that's when the channel just exploded because I hit the right topic at the right time mm -hmm. and had the four years of experience prior, you know, and then I just help people get started. And then that's the, it's the Ender. The Ender was the, the name of the printer. It's an Ender 3 and people started calling me the Ender Whisperer because I knew everything <laughs> about it. And, and then, then from there, I just grew the, you know, the social media, just being around that, being around people. And you guys, there's so many big YouTubers that I know personally, and, and you just get tips from everybody and um, you go hang out at the same kind of meetups and stuff. And it just, it just takes time, you know, but it's, uh, it just grows on its own. It gets a life of its own. And then, you know, the subscribers and views and everything else comes. And that's, so I've been doing this 10 years, 10 years. I've been doing the 3d printing. I'm actually trying to get electronics back into it because, um, the printers have now gotten really good. You don't need my help that much. So <laughs> well, Chuck, well, feel free, feel free to mention a legal curve on filament Friday and maybe get us a few subscribers. We <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. Well, we appreciate it. We appreciate you telling us uh, more about your son, more about yourself. Uh, and of course the international influence you wielded uh, on the dad's trip, Chuck, thank you very much for joining us uh, today yeah, on the legal curve hockey show. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Chuck. Appreciate it. There right. he goes. That's Chuck Hellebuck, of course, father of Connor Hellebuck, who uh, is doing his thing probably tonight. Well, we know I think tonight, he's starting he, tonight. I mean, I'm expecting it to be Hellebuck versus Demko. Well, you would be expecting right because Rick Bonus confirmed yesterday that uh, Connor Hellebuck would be starting. Well, he didn't confirm it 100%. He kind of looked, he indicated to Mike McIntyre of the Winnipeg Free Press that uh, he was on the right track when he asked about Connor starting today. So, uh, no surprise, Saturday night is Connor Hellebuck's night. And so that should be a fun one for Jets fans. Jets, and you, of course, can join us because we'll be back in, I'd love to say 12 hours, but it's actually more, it's closer to 13 hours for the Illegal Curve post-game show. Of course, this has been the Illegal Curve hockey show. Uh, two hours of Jets talk, as we didn't even talk about the Moose. I'm not going to go do a Moose Minute because we're already in overtime, but the Moose are playing the Milwaukee Admirals at 2 o'clock. I'll be at the game 
So it's going to be a busy one for me and for you, because even if you're not at the game, as you're put on your antlers, it's time for the Manuk Moose Minute on the Illegal Curve Hockey Show. Okay, so that was fantastic because I was looking at your face and I was like, as he's about to do something, I'm not sure what he's about to do, but he's about to Come do on, something. Dave. You started talking about the moose. Big game this afternoon. Big game. Let's talk. All right, we'll talk. We'll give we'll give the folks. There's still a lot of you with us. We're in we're into what we call overtime, but I'll I'll keep it yeah, rolling. Mandel's not here. We can go an extra five minutes, no problem. Well, you know what? The reality was the I mean, moose. What do I have to do, Dave Parent? Yeah, that's a fair point, as we don't want you to do that. But but look, the reality is the moose. Quickly flip the script after an 11 game losing streak, zero, 10 and one. The moose flipped it when they went for nine straight games on the road. They left January 26th from Manitoba and uh, played nine games on the road. They went six, two and one. I see folks saying about Millich, Thomas Millich, the Jets 2023 fifth rounder. He was recalled. He's played. Actually, he played six of the games, went four, one and one. The Moose made a big move. They sent Oscar Salmonen to Norfolk of the ECHL, which means Colin Delia and Thomas Millich will be your tandem moving forward until, I guess, Oscar Salmonen can maybe get his game back on uh, track. But yeah, it's, uh, it's a big week for the Moose because, again, they've got six straight at home. We've already given away the tickets for today's Chaz Lucius bobblehead game, Ezzy. But uh should be a fun one. You've got the... The kids are all right. Brad Lambert, Nikita Chibrikov, both scoring big goals in that shootout win over the Calgary Wranglers on Wednesday to conclude things. I didn't get a chance to talk about it in the postgame. Oh, I did. No, I didn't get to because we ended just as the shootout was starting in overtime. So Brad Lambert and Nikita Chibrikov were the two goal scorers and Colin Delia made both saves so that he faced from Calgary. So the Moose won that game uh, in the shootout. And like I said, they went 6-2-1 and one. So again, we have, well, we're listening to you, Phil Smith, and they, or I'm not listening, but the Moose are obviously listening to you because they did keep Thomas Millich, and we don't know who's in net today. They uh, do have the benefit, of course, of the uh, NHL line, Toninato, Gustafson, Axel Janssen, Fieldy. They've got five lines right now, five really good lines, so they, they've got the ability to be fresh. But yeah, it's going to be a big game. The Moose, like I said, last nine games, 6-2-1, and one, but the Milwaukee Admirals have not lost in 2024 as he they're 15 zero and zero until today I, well possibly i asked mark morrison about that and he said one of the games that they played and they lost uh during this road trip was against milwaukee where he felt his team was in it for the most part they know they can hang with them they just got to make sure they play consistently for 60 minutes so right now especially with the the additions they've got from the nhl should make for a hell of a good game and then superhero game on uh monday which is i think louis real day so, uh, and you're, also, and Dave, you're just going as Dave Manuk. I am going as Dave Manuk, I guess. And so I will be going as the, uh, uh, super Dave. We'll have that game covered. Yeah. Super Dave. We'll have game tickets for that game, but I'll probably give those away tonight. And of course we're going to have, we should mention quickly because the show's really into overtime. Cause I think I just saw uh, Matt Hyman mentioned Colby Barlow, but the 2023 first rounder of the jets, slow start injury to start his campaign, his season. He just reeled off as he, 20 goals in 20 games for Owen Sound. So uh, Jets fans are feeling good about him. He did get shut out last night. So it was 20 goals in 21 games. But uh, if you want, go check out allelecurve.com. We're going to have a highlight pack coming up in about an hour and 20 minutes of Colby Barlow's goals over that stretch. Well, actually, they had 18 of his 19, but that's the courtesy of the OHL. 
Okay, as it's been a long show. We've talked about the Moose. We've talked about yep. the Jets. We've talked to Chuck Hellebuck. I don't. We talked to Teddy Wyman of the Winnipeg Sun. We've talked to all of you. We appreciate all of you spending your Saturday morning with us. And of course, a big thanks to all of the sponsors of Illegal Curve who make the post game show, the Saturday show, and the website as the illegalcurve.com a possibility. They are in no particular order. Rumors Restaurant and Comedy Club, Grid Park. Use code Illegal Curve to park for free. Linden Market Dental Center, Zappia Group Realty, Betway, Tough Duck. Boston Pizza, Seagram's, Rolly's Transfer, and Farmery Beer. Support these fine businesses because of their continued support of Illegal Curve Hockey. Well, it's been a long one. It's been a good one. We've uh, enjoyed every moment of it, and thank you for spending your Saturday morning with us. We look forward to spending your Saturday evening and Sunday morning with us when we are back here on the Illegal Curve post-game show in, oh God, 12 and a half hours. So join Ezzy, join me, maybe join Drew. Uh, this has been the Illegal Curve Hockey Show. Thank you very much. Smash that like button. Make sure you hit the subscribe button. Leave us a comment. Leave us feedback. Do it all. We appreciate it. Have a good rest of your afternoon, folks. We'll talk to you soon. This has been the Illegal Curve Hockey Show. Thanks for listening to this broadcast from Illegal Curve Hockey. For more great Illegal Curve content, subscribe to the Illegal Curve YouTube channel, follow at Illegal Curve on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, and visit your online home for hockey in Winnipeg, IllegalCurve.com.